Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries. I'm Peter. I'm a surveyor, teacher and podcaster in my spare time. If you haven't listened before, welcome. Please take the time to go back and listen to some of the amazing stories of surveyors from across the world. If you would like to join me for a chat or know of someone you would like to hear from, you can send me a message. The link is in my show notes, my bio on all social media sites, or you can contact me from my website, petercox.com. So grab a drink, sit back, relax, and come join me on my journey, surveying the world one story at a time. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox. Alison Watson was born and bred in Sheffield in the north of England. Growing up, she wanted to do something in the countryside, a vet, then maybe a farmer in Scotland where she went on holidays, then a doctor, an optrician. So as you can see, she was totally confused by the age of 16. By the age of 18, she was no better off after careers advice and although she had a love of maths, she chose not to go to uni and she went to figure herself out, and so she chose banking. Boring. (laughs) So in her mid-twenties, she met a civil engineer who introduced her to the turtle station, and that was it. With 26-plus years in the surveying industry, and 14 of them in education, Ali has forged a career with her business, Class of Your Own. Hi, Alison. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. It's good to be here. It is. It's been a little while in the making and I'm so looking forward to this conversation. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. And I hope we've got terrible weather at the moment here, so hopefully that will not get in the way of our conversation. It's a bit noisy out there. We'll see. It's it's funny. (laughs) No surveyors are surveying today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've had a sort of a bit of mixed weather over here as well. It's been, been quite bad considering it should be nice and sunny. So it's everywhere. Well, anyway. We can't have it all. No, that's right. That's right. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Okay. Uh, I grew up in a working class family in the great northern city that is Sheffield in mm-hmm. the north of England, um, great Yorkshire town, South Yorkshire town. Uh, my dad was a stonemason. Uh, my mum was a housewife. Mm-hmm. And I have a twin sister. Um, she's in the States. And uh, just a normal family upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, my dad passed away when I was 13, um, which had a huge impact on my life. Um, yeah, he was kind of best friend dad, lovely mm-hmm. guy. Um, I hope I've got a lot of his traits. He was a massively, had a massive heart, did my dad. And uh, so, yeah, um, Sheffield, uh, born and bred, um, went to a normal comprehensive school, um, Myers Grove. Uh, comprehensive um I think there was about 2,000 kids there it was was a massive school big classes um right through to sixth form so you went there from five and you uh, sorry you went there from 11 and you finished at 18 and uh Mm -hmm. so yeah that was my formative years um mom uh got remarried um to a lovely guy uh Norman my stepdad he's been my dad for a long time now uh with it came to stepbrothers um and um we uh as a family unit as a new family unit we moved to a different part of town and I ended up going to the school that was actually a rival school to where I grew up so it was quite a a scary and there was only six children from the um junior school went to this 
big, big secondary school. Mm-hmm. And I don't deny, you know, that first day, you know, going to the rival school where we used to fight on the playgrounds um, was, uh, was 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 quite scary. But the school was quite progressive. Um, I went into the top class, which is kind of kind of cool. Um, I left my primary school, good at maths particularly. Um, I had a good reading age. I was good at English. So both Did you myself just say and my you twin, were good at maths? I was good at maths. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was really good at maths. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I was a star when I left, you know, I, I when I left junior school, I, um, I knew that maths was absolutely my subject. Um, and all the way through school, I, I was looking mm, okay. at my reports the other night, actually, because it's funny, um, we, we talk about mathematics, and I know you and I will probably get onto the subject yeah. of maths later, <laughs> yeah. but, but the funny thing is, when I read through my reports, there's a trait, a trait or a trend that was starting when I was kind of like 11, because the reports are saying, Alison would be so good if she just concentrated more. <laughs> And I laugh at that now because maths was my best subject. You know, I I, I did um, I did well in my exams, mm-hmm. and but I know what the distraction was. I found it boring, but I love oh. the problem solving. So it kind of weaves yeah. into where I went in my future. Mm-hmm. And I look back at those reports and think, yeah, you know something, it was boring. The reason why Alison would she's always distracted. I was quiet, but mm-hmm. you know, I just probably used to sit there like this, you know. <laughs> when the teacher was talking to us, I was like, yeah, yeah, mm, boring. And I just, my mind worked a certain way. Um, I adored the maths. I just found the maths teaching very, really, really boring. So, but, you know, it's kind of made me, it's made me understand a lot more about how children think now. And it's been really nice to reflect on my own um, development as a child that makes me understand more probably how most children need to understand maths so it was it was good in a way I'm sure my teachers probably wouldn't say that now but but I think it probably made at me. the time yeah <laughs> I think it's I think it's funny how that sort of stuff does does reflect and come back at you later on especially with what you're doing now which we'll get into in 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 a little absolutely. bit absolutely um, yeah. for sure yeah. but yeah so okay so you went through finished high school um and because surveying wasn't your first choice career was it no I'd never no. even heard of it oh my God. <laughs> so, so okay so um I, I suppose it brings us around nicely to careers because I'm, I'm quite sure it's never improved since I was at school mm. but at 16 years old when you're choosing your A-levels uh, your 16 to 18 year old exams um I knew that maths was my subject mm. and I sat with my careers teachers and in those days you did a psychometric test you filled in you know, tick here, tick there, certain questions. They were kind of like, um, it, it was like a, a personal um, delve into who are you really, what do you enjoy mm. kind of thing. Mm. And these psychometric tests, um, I can remember filling this form out and going to see my careers teacher and they kind of churned it through the, I don't know, whatever forms that they used to do. But it turned out that um, I was going to be, uh, I was going to be a maths teacher. Mm-hmm. No, that's never going to happen. Have you seen my maths teachers? Seriously, there were maths teachers that were made it just really, really boring Mm. or couldn't handle the class because the class used to just kick off because they were bored too. So I kind of looked at that and thought, maths teacher, oh, my God, no. And and, and be be with people like my class. No, that's (laughs) never going to happen. Yeah, no, that's a teacher. That was absolutely not. 
Um, I had huge respect for my teachers. I was a quiet one. I was I was a good girl at school, and I just used to be appalled at the behaviour of some of mm-hmm. my peers. Mm-hmm. And just thought, my God, if that's teaching, that's not for me. Yeah. Um, but also because um, I mentioned earlier, you know, my dad, my proper dad, was such a, a massively caring person, and I, and I hope, I hope that you know that's been me all my life. Yeah. I, I am so much like my dad, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of quiet. I'm a thinker. Uh, my dad used to write poetry and stuff like that. So I think that's probably where I got my English skills from as mm-hmm. well. But he was a stonemason. He was, you know, he was out on site, knocking yep. bits of stone apart. So the other thing that came out on this test was because you have a clearly caring personality, uh, you could be a nurse. But, you know, the thing is with me, I I, I, I was I was never a well well child. Um, I think when, um, you know, as, a, as an identical twin, when the egg split, she got all the good genes, I no. got all the bad genes. <laughs> I seem to be always ill. Um, so, and, and also, even now as an adult, I am rubbish with needles. I could oh, no okay. more give somebody an injection. I pass out with <laughs> needles. What are you those? Know, I don't yep. like so, so that was never going to happen any, either. Um, and so the one thing I wanted was a career that involved mathematics, numbers, just something that made me think. Mm. So um, so I, I wanted pure and applied maths. Applied maths was so important to me. And as an arrogant little 16-year-old who thought she knew better, I had a really great sixth form. I should have stayed on at school. I so wish. My, one of my biggest regrets in my life is not staying at school because I thought – statistics I always found boring and I, I've always laughed and said you know in terms of probability anything that has a word that's nearly probably is probably going to be a load of rubbish <laughs> so, so I didn't really enjoy that side I love geometry trigonometry that kind of thing the real stuff that you could get into problem solving so I was adamant I wanted to do pure and applied maths now my school didn't offer that so I had to go to FE college mm-hmm. and you know forgive me FE colleges have a hard run now and even then, I can remember going to an adult FE college. There was a 30-year-old in the class. There was another girl who really didn't want to be there. And the guy who was a teacher clearly didn't either because sometimes he turned up, sometimes he didn't. Oh, I should have never left school. And, yeah. and I feel so sad because I think academically, I mean, the college was great for things like trades. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. academically, the college wasn't really cut out maybe to deliver A-levels. Yeah. Um, so it was a really bad decision. And, you know, when you start to see your life sort of slippery slope from then, yeah. um, and when it came to careers advice at 18 years old, it was still no better. And university, for me, just was not an option mm. because, A, I didn't know what to study. Nobody mm-hmm. was telling me. It was it would still be a maths teacher. And I didn't mm. want to be – I even more didn't want to be a maths teacher because of the college experience. So I suppose – also, um, I had uh, a little bit of um, issues at home. Um, uh, bearing in mind that, you know, my parents were still grieving. You know, my, my mom had lost my dad. She was still yeah. grieving. Yeah. My sister had left home. It was a really, it was a really difficult time oh, uh, family, yeah. family life. Even though, you know, my mom and dad are terrific. They're so lo- such lovely people at that time during our formative teenage years and so on. It was difficult. I'd left home. I needed uh, to support myself. You know, university was just going to have to wait. Mm-hmm. And I, instead of going to uni, and I know that when I told my parents that I wasn't going to go to uni, they were really, really, really quite upset. 
Um, particularly because I would have been the first person to go to university in my family. Mm. Um, certainly my close family. We were working class, it's not just just not what you did. Mom left yeah. school at 14 to go yes. and get a job because you had to, you know. You had to, um, that's right, yeah. Exactly. So mm. so I think my parents were hugely disappointed. Um and uh, but no, I, I needed money, and I needed yeah. to find my true vocation. And I by eighteen, I hadn't found it. I really could not see the point in going to uni to study something that was just maths, because again, mm. I wanted to do something with maths. So I think the thought of three years of university studying more maths and being <laughs> respectfully more bored by mathematics teaching just wasn't an option. Mm. So I. Uh, I left school at 18 and I saw a job in the newspaper. It was a Sheffield Star, um, mm-hmm. the newspaper of the day. It's still going now. And I ringed. I can remember sat down there and I put a ring around the Yorkshire Bank. And ironically, it was taken over some years later by the National Australia <laughs> <Yes>. Bank. <laughs> there's, always been a, there's always been a connection with Australia. Um, but um, I saw this and it, they were basically asking for... Uh, it was a kind of management type um, job, but it was around, um, you know, a, a, a kind of fast track. And I knew I didn't probably have the qualifications that mm-hmm. they wanted mm-hmm. because I think they were looking for graduates. But I wrote a letter to the bank um, and I explained that, you know, I was ambitious. I wanted to learn and I was good with numbers. So I wondered if they might give me at least an interview. Yeah. And I got an interview. I can remember sitting in, in the interview. I was the first of 11 to be interviewed. And the guy who interviewed me, um, Peter, he was, oh my God, he was scary. He was a real Sheffield, Yorkshire, tough cocky. And I sat in front of him and he interviewed me and he was a little bit scary. And, you know, I'm there, quite nervous, quite shy. Um, but I clearly came across and I said, look, I just need, I need a job. I want to learn. I want to learn a job with numbers. You know, I, I'm, I'm good for this. And he said, well, you know something, um, I think you've probably got, uh, you've got all the right attitude and so on. I'm going to give you a chance. And he offered me the job there and then. Oh, and wow. cancelled all the other appointments. Oh, gosh. So That's that was cool. a really lucky break. <laughs> yeah. um, and I started at Yorkshire Bank and I thought, you know, something, I'm going to stick this out for a year. Mm-hmm see where it takes me and then make some decisions because I needed money. Yeah. I had a house by then, I needed money. Um, so um, so I started with Yorkshire Bank and thought that was my career for life. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Thought. <laughs> uh, six years later, I was still there um, because I think by that time, as young people often do, um, and, and you might imagine now in my role, I, I speak to a hell of a lot of young people you know, they kind of get stuck with that. I'm earning money. I'm mm. a grown up now. I'm living the life. I'm going out. I'm going clubbing. Going, I'm going uh, out at the weekends. And it's nice to have money in your pocket. And I guess even though I was very unhappy there, I was really bored actually at Yorkshire Bank. Mm. I knew that banking wasn't for me. And I also found the fact that um, it was a very targeted organization. So um, you had to meet your sales targets. Right. You know, yeah. just yeah. Some, somebody mm-hmm. coming to talk to you. You know, the little old lady who used to come in to collect a pension from the bank every Friday. It got to the point where you're spending too much time talking to her. And yet she, you were probably her lifeline. The, on the, the Friday only morning. person that she would speak to for the whole week. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I and I found the whole thing quite mercenary in a way. Mm. That customer service, the mm -hmm. customer didn't come first. <laughs> Profit it's, came first. It's just amazing how you hear that, you know, customers first kind of thing, and you actually see behind it and go, yeah, no, it's not yeah. Really how it is. Yeah, yeah. I see and, it all and, the you time. Know Oh, for sure. And we were always the friendly bank. I mean, Yorkshire people are known for their friendliness, their openness. Mm. And yet I just found that day in, day out, you know, you had less time to spend with the customer unless they wanted a loan, yeah. unless they wanted a mortgage, unless there was something in it for the bank. Mm -hmm. And I know it's a highly competitive industry and time is money. I completely get that. But I just found that it, it felt like, you know, unless the, the customer had something to offer us, then we had to get rid of them as soon as possible, yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, I didn't like that. So I knew banking was not for me. So there's a dot, dot, dot. Yeah, so, <laughs> so what happened then? <laughs> what happened then? Oh, my six goodness. Years, six years went by in the yep. bank. What yeah. changed? What changed? Yeah. Okay, right. So um, I was not a clubber. I, I really did not enjoy uh, the music of the, well, I did enjoy the music of the 80s. The clubs of the 80s weren't playing the music that I liked. Okay. Um, and into the 90s, the same. Um, I was always a big fan of people like, you know, the Smiths, the Cure, you know, these kind oh, of nice. um, yes. alternative music. You know, indie, you know, I loved indie music. God, we so just there keep was getting, one night. We, we, there's just more and more that you keep saying that we are just so alive. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and my daughter's grown up the same which is fantastic she still loves, she loves the stuff that I liked but also you know I love opera I love classical um I played in a brass band you know I was out with my dad last Saturday at a brass band concert so you know um I don't, I don't know if that makes me weird but either way I like being weird um so um so you'd imagine that when you get invited to go to a nightclub um you probably turn them down so one of the dear friends that I made at the bank lovely girl she had just been recently uh, unceremoniously ditched by her boyfriend and mm -hmm. she was really, really upset. And we knew she was upset. She'd come into the bank. And anyway, there's one night where she said to me, um, Ali, let's go clubbing. I need a night out. And, you know, she's my friend. I'm not going to say no. But inside I was like, oh, God, Do I have Josephine to? in Sheffield. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, don't get me wrong, Josephine's, it's iconic, this club. I mean, everybody who's my age in Sheffield knows Josephine's. Mm -hmm. But they just didn't play my kind of music. Yeah. But she's my friend. Of course I'm going to go. I'm a caring person. Yes. Of course I'm going to go. Yep. I couldn't say no. Mm -hmm. That's been one of my problems all my life. I just can't say no. So <sighs> I went to the club. Um, and I swear to God, within 10, 15 minutes, she was off on the dance floor with George. She oh. met a guy. <laughs> And I was like, oh, no, we've, we've agreed that whatever happens tonight, you know, you do this with your girlfriends, whatever happens tonight, we go home the taxi together. Mm. That's the deal. So I'm thinking, OK, it's it's early. She's gone. Oh, God, this is going to be the hardest night to get through. <laughs> so I'm still at the bar waiting to get myself a drink. And I can feel it now. I could feel eyes on me. And, you know, that, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, I could see, I could see this guy, and I'm I'm kind of I'm still a bit shy at this age. Yeah, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you would never believe my friends don't believe I'm shy. I am shy, and uh, and I'm kind of looking to the side and thinking, oh, just go away, go away, go away. <laughs> anyway, he came over and he said, "You don't want." To. I must have been giving these vibes out yeah. because he just said, "You don't want to be here, do you?" 
well, that's a strange chat up line. Uh, well, no, I don't actually. No, I don't. And it was kind of nice because it broke that awful, mm, mm-hmm. you know, small talk. No, I don't want to be here. Do you? <laughs> anyway, we got chatting. Um, and he didn't want to be there either. We got chatting. We'd been maybe chatting at the bar for half an hour. And, you know, really nice guy. Quite interesting, you know. And, mm. and, he, and he was nice looking. So that was helpful. <laughs> Um, anyway, the great thing about Josephine's is that, yes, great dance floor, he's got all that, but also had a restaurant attached to the, to the, okay. to the, yeah. um, the nightclub. And he said, look, you, you don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I appreciate you've got to be here for your friends, but she's happy. Why don't we go and get a meal? Do you fancy something mm-hmm. to eat? Like, that'd be really, really nice. So went and found my friend. You're there. I'm there. We're back together at one o'clock. So you know where I am. So off we went, and um, and this guy told me all about his life. Um, that he was um, a civil engineer, um, that he worked for his dad, and he, uh, you know, told explained his day to day life. And I just found it really fascinating. And the more I listened, the more I liked. And I'm thinking, my God, you know, as a child, I grew up being outdoors. Yeah. My parents had me in a hiking club from. Mm-hmm. As soon as I could walk, I had hiking boots. Yeah. And I'm the same with my daughter. You know, we're the same. I'm married the same. Um, but, um, but but you know, the great outdoors, I was a cyclist from a young age. My whole family on, on the Pierce side, and they're Australians as well. You know, mm-hmm. I have the Pierce family in Adelaide. Big up to the Pierce family. They're my family. Um, yeah. Big cyclist, big, big cycling family. So I was always going to ride a bike. I used to be in the Rockland Cycling Club, which is, again, a big big Yorkshire club Mm -hmm. I used to be off on the bike I used to time trial I used to race I loved being outdoors and I always even as a little girl I I remember going to Scotland for holidays and thinking I'm going to marry a Scottish farmer because that will keep me outdoors all the time in Scotland which I used to love for holidays so uh, the outdoors was a big part of my life and one of the things that he was talking about with this career that I'd never even heard of a civil engineer Mm. I mean how crazy is that you'd think Mm -hmm. Yeah, you'd but but in those days you were just never told about this at school, mm. and he was talking about an outdoor life, and he was talking about a job that I felt involved numbers in some way that certainly involved mathematics. He was good at maths at school when 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 he left, and um and so long story short, we had a great night, um and we agreed that you know when we parted company at one o'clock, so I was going home with my friend, yep. um, that, we'd, they, that we'd probably see each other again. Mm-hmm. Um, great, fantastic. I liked him. We were, you know, there was potentially something happening here. So we agreed, we exchanged numbers and we agreed to meet up the following weekend. Except that he called me um, a couple of nights before and said, you know, I'm really sorry, but I can't make that date because I've got to go and do some setting out. Setting okay, out. <laughs> I said no. What's that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so he explained he got to be on site, and I said, "Look, um, I don't know if this is your cop out, and you you just don't want to see me, or you are working. But either way, if it's you are working, and I hope it is, I was crossing my fingers. Um, take me with you because I really was fascinated by what you were telling me. Um, mm-hmm. So he kind of laughed and said, "Okay." So he picked me up. We went to site. And uh, and he stuck me in front of a robotic total station. So this this total station was a jogometer. In the day, it was you know it was a really really kind of advanced piece of kit. Mm. It was a two man piece of kit, um, but it was it had 
amazing. Oh, this servo-driven instrument. I can still remember the sound now. It was like music. It used to go, and I just thought, wow, robots. Oh, my God. It was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it really was. It's one of my favorite sounds. I can still remember that sound. Mm -hmm. And basically, it gave me a, a big sheet of paper. We were on a house building site. It was new housing. He gave me a big sheet of paper and there were basically squares with numbers drawn all over this piece of paper, kind of randomly. So I'm like, okay, this look, this, this is the plan, right? Of what? The houses yeah. to be built, maybe? Mm. He's going, yeah, yeah, it's just a housing site. And, and every single one of these blocks represents a house and these are the corners and we have to set these corners out. That's what it means, setting out. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get it. So hang on. So this list of numbers coordinates is that mm. yeah that's all they are each one of these coordinates is mm-hmm. a position and each one relates to those particular corners yeah and I'm stood there as a 24 25 year old thinking oh my god this is just mass and then I look at the screen on the on the geometer and I'm going hang on whoa is this turning around oh hang on this 360 always oh, coming back to north and it was like, well, look at it. It does, it does, it's it's angles. Oh my god, look at that. 90, 180, 270. Oh my god, this is angles. So so here we have coordinates. Here we have angles. And then when it came to the setting out bit, mm. you put in this coordinate. They were all ASCII codes at the time, so we put in this coordinate, the instrument turned, and then mm. it gave this other mm-hmm. set of numbers, and there's a little M at the side. Whoa, hang on, Ep. What's the M? He said, "Well, well, that's meters." Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! This is distance, and 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 I swear to God, I I'm there now. I'm I'm tingling even yeah. telling you this story yeah, yeah. because I'm there on this site, having never known anything about civil engineering. Nobody told me about surveying. I didn't know what the hell a total station was. You know, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. me, a survey was: do you prefer a Mars bar or a Twix? You know, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. Are you a people, girl or yeah. a boy? <laughs> yeah. You know. And, and and this was just crazy. And I'm thinking, hang on, I've got to 25 years old nearly. And nobody's told me this. I had to go to a nightclub to find this information out. This is just stupid. This wow. is the worst career advice in the world. Um, so, so I'm there with angles, distances, coordinates. And I said, hang on, this is just like graph paper at school, right? This is trigonometry, geometry. This is distance measurement. This is coordinate systems. We did all this at school when yeah. I was 14. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why has nobody ever told me? I still feel angry now. You can tell that. Right? Yeah, I can. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and 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 even like so. So I just I and I just love the fact that I was outdoors and there mm. was mass. It was the perfect job. So you know what? From that moment, I just thought, here I am. This this has got to be my life in the future. Mm-hmm. I, I just loved it so much nothing to do with the guy incidentally I just <laughs> loved this job and I, I, I was jealous I was mm. jealous of him because he'd found his pathway he'd been to a private school he'd been to university mm. he he was living a life and I was really really I was jealous of that that's a terrible thing to admit but I was really jealous and I thought well the only you know I, I, I'm a little bit more settled in my life now the only thing I can do I'm going to pack in my job I'm going to do this job and I'm going to go to university at last. I'm going to go and study. Mm-hmm. I want to do this. And clearly it's a very highly technical job. It's hugely professional. 
And I think there was something about, you know, the respect of the people on the site. So, you know, the, the, the fact that people who were relying on you to, to, to do the right thing on site, to get that position right, yeah. to put those yeah. corners in the ground. Otherwise, if that fails, everything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And I thought, God, the responsibility of this job, you know, management in a bank, what, what the hell does that mean? I'm going to give somebody a mortgage or I'm not. Are you worthy or not? Can you mm-hmm. afford it or not? Mm-hmm. That was my day. It was like Groundhog Day, day in, day out. How would you like your cash? Are you interested in a loan? There's no one, you know, how I'm still here and didn't lose a block back then because <laughs> that was my life. And here was a life that was extraordinary. And 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 talking to this guy, you know, it was a road one day. It was, it was a building site another day. It was yes. hills and mountains and walking great lengths another day and I thought how liberating how you know the freedom of having that job was amazing so I I was I was smitten from day one Mm -hmm. it's funny how how you fall into these into this career um we're talking about you think about it yeah yeah if I could go to the nightclub I would probably be I would be offering you a mortgage (laughs) (laughs) no I've got one thanks (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's just um it, it's just amazing how back then and even now we're still trying to get in there and explain what surveying is and what it's about and the different types of surveying that you can do and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And the sad thing is it's still the same now, you know. Yeah. I know we'll come on to what I do now, but but talking to young people now it's like do you know what a land surveyor is? Mm. And I go, no. No. Yeah. Tell me, tell me, tell me what you do know. If I said to you construction, what do you know? And they go, uh, a builder. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll, that's a, yeah. Construction given. Yeah. Absolutely. Anything else? Probably an architect. Hmm. That's about it. And occasionally we do get civil engineer, but even a civil engineer. You hear about it. It's, it's really, really weird. If I, if I, in a private school, mm. you might get civil engineer, but not very often in what you guys know as public schools. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a bit weird in England. A public school is a private school over here, so it's all, all a bit old-fashioned, Victorian, weird. But, but there is, a, there is a difference somehow, and I don't want to kind of put children into a certain category, but I would say that the private schools. Uh, the fee-paying schools in England probably know more about civil engineering yeah. than non-fee-paying. Mm-hmm. Don't know why that is, but mm. but yeah. So there you go, nightclub. That's the way forward. <laughs> I, maybe I need to say to all kids, go to a nightclub go to, to find your yeah. real yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mom, dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you did you did university, but you didn't make it through the whole way through. Um, no. No, unfortunately not. And, and and it's funny, you know, I, I was thinking about our conversation just the other night and thinking, you know, it almost comes to you in a flash when you have to sort of concentrate on, okay, my life, what, what, what happened? Mm. And there's so many synergies with life now because I, okay, so cut a long story short, I started uh, working with this guy. I, I so relied on the training. I wanted to know everything. It wasn't just enough to know the surveying and the setting out and the site engineering and so on. I wanted to know everything. 
So, um, so yes, I wanted to go to university because when I was growing up, as is still the case, university was everything. And in fact, I felt like a failure because I'd not gone to university because my school, bright children go to university. That was it. Mm. You know, let's not talk about apprenticeships. Oh my God. No, 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 no. Apprenticeships at the time were youth training schemes. It was a dirty word. And I think for parents, it still is now because that generation that grew up with, well, an apprenticeship, you know, if you're failing at school, you could go and get an apprenticeship. Except they never use the word failure, of course, Mm. because, you know, it was basically if you are not academically focused, I mean, come on, Mm. academically focused. What does that even mean? Yeah. Half the kids who were academically focused still didn't know what they wanted to do, but went to university anyway. (laughs) So there was always that thing about I didn't go to university. I am a failure. I have to go to university was the be all and end all. Mm -hmm. And there's still a little piece of me that still feels you know, I, 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 a failure even now at 51 years old because I didn't complete. So let me tell no. you why. Yeah. I, I know. You're you know, not. You're I, not. <laughs> well, thank you. But, but as a parent, um, you know, it, with my own daughter, that has its own challenges about what do I tell her? But I'm sure we'll come on to that. Mm-hmm. But, but so let me go back to the time. So I, I'd started to work. I wanted to train. I went everywhere with this guy. I was, I went to sites. I got in the ditches. I got in the trenches with the ground workers. Tell me about this. Bricklayers, tell me about that. Blah, blah. Anybody that I was working with, mm. I just knew that they could offer me so much. And that's yep. why I have so much respect for the trades. Those guys know, you know, if you want to know about the land and the way it works, talk to ground workers. If mm. you want to talk about, you know, foundations, brickwork, you know, these building guys they are phenomenal and they were teaching me stuff about the ground that I was not getting so so the fact that I had a full-time job I was training I was learning I needed to balance work because I also had bills to pay yeah so I uh I actually had a lovely interview this great guy he's still around he's still teaching now I'm sure he should have retired by now but (laughs) but when I I went to Nottingham Trent University to to inquire about their geospatial degree Mm -hmm. and Nottingham Trent at the time was always great it was Nottingham Polytechnic at the time probably but but either way they had a great geospatial course they still do it um and uh and I thought well that that's the way to go um but but the distance from Sheffield to Nottingham to go there to study on a part-time degree, it was too far. It was compromising work. Mm. So I looked at the Sheffield Poly. Um, Sheffield University was absolutely out. They didn't do surveying. It's civil engineering, but surveying for them was probably not academic enough. That has to change. Oh, my God, we need to pick up on that. But either way, um, I I just thought, well, I can't. I, I, I looked at Sheffield um, at the Polytechnic and thought, well, the course in construction management has elements of spaying in it, has elements of setting out, certainly, yeah. basic leveling and so on. So I choose a construction management degree because because it's the only degree I could find locally yeah. with some spaying in had, it. Yeah, yeah. That had elements in it. Mm. And you know something? Gosh. We must remember to talk about this because it's still the same now. And I know that there are kids studying surveying and it's not surveying, but let me not get on that mm, bandwagon. Okay. I'll not get on my soapbox. So we, we might have we might have to have we might have to do a second podcast and get a few people in and have a discussion on this stuff, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know mm. something? I it, it would be great to bring Brit- uh, UK and Australia together because mm. I know 
there are massive parallels, yeah. particularly when I talk to my friends in places like Balfabiti, Langerog, you know, the big the big major projects. Yep. They're having the same challenges today. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. And this is why it's kind of nice to talk about this now because you think, have I, has anything really changed for the better mm. in all those years? So I picked Sheffield. Um, I I was, so the, so the full-time degree course, and this is another thing that is kind of crazy. The full-time degree course was 12 hours a week. Oh, gosh. That's, that's not full-time. Really? No. So when I was looking at the timetable, I'm thinking, okay, well, I can do those lectures and the and the classes but the the time that was attributed to study time which made it a full-time course because if you're not in lectures and classes then you need to be studying so that's what made it full time Mm -hmm. I can be out on site so I used to my life was crazy so I knew that I had that job um to do um in my surveying so I'd fix it so that I'd go to university do the lecture I'd be in my work clothes I'd jump in my van I'd go off to site Mm -hmm. next day same site first then the one lecture hour hour lecture in the afternoon and I managed to juggle working life around a full-time degree because a full-time degree was not full-time not Mm. in my book crazy and I can remember (laughs) I can remember having a little bit of a ticking off from the course leader one day because he said Ali I'm seeing you in lessons I'm not seeing you much in study and I said no I am studying he said well where are you studying because you're certainly not attending university I said I'm studying for real because when I'm not here I'm out on site learning the real world of work, the real world of surveying, mm. and that's where I'm going. So the construction management stuff, I don't really need to focus on sections and roof trusses. That is not where I'm going. Yeah. But I'm having to do this degree. But I am out on site. I am learning, learning, learning every mm-hmm. single day, and I'm probably learning more there than I am here, which was a bit arrogant of me, but that's how it felt. Mm. So um, so I did. I, I went... I did my first year. Um, I managed to juggle, did really, really well. I can remember the maths again coming through. I sat there in structural mechanics and we were doing all these, um, you know, solving equations. I can remember these equations going off the board, yeah. across the board on, uh, <laughs> on, you know, solving triangles and all this kind of stuff. But even in the first maths class, get this, this was, this was again something that made me think, God, you know, really? The first maths lecture, we were doing quadratic functions or I can remember there being a less than or equal to zero and I, I even have to look was, was that quadratics was it quadratic but either way less than or equal to zero and there was a symbol on the board that was less than equal to and the lecture was carrying on structural mechanics blah 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 structural maths and and one of the kids on the front row I was sat at the back with the cool kids, you know. I mean, I was always cool because at 25, 26 years old, I was buying the drinks. I was giving 18 yeah, year olds yeah. the home in the car. <laughs> so like, you know, you're really a little bit older, aren't you? Um, I was the I was the only girl, well, three girls in the whole of the class. There was Typical. you know, the yep. packed yep. but three girls out mm-hmm. of maybe three hundred. Um, and one of the kids on the front, he put his hand up and lecturer, yeah what does that symbol mean on the board less than or equal to mm-hmm. and i can remember i was sat there and you know i was a little bit nervous i don't i don't mind admitting 26 years old in a in a class full of kids who just in their a levels yeah. fresh yeah. out of school yeah. yeah i'd not i'd not done learning of this sort for years but i i can remember just putting my pencil down on the on the uh, desk in front of me and thinking if they don't even know what less than or equal means, equals to means, I'm going to be fine here mm-hmm. because I know what that means. Mm-hmm. 
And I must say, when I was doing my mathematics, um, I I sat my first year. I did really, really well throughout the year. I remember, um, you know, writing pages of maths because I think at that age as well, you want to study. You're, you're there because you want to learn. Yes, Not exactly. because you're just 18, yeah. it's cool, we're going to party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so I, I remember in my first year exams, even my um, – the, the the guy who was um, structural engineering, structural mechanics, um, I was writing away in my structural maths classes in the in the uh, in the exam rather in the exam hall, and this guy came down and and just leant over my shoulder and he went, "See me afterwards." <laughs> God, everyone, it was like it's like being twelve again, and I'm I'm gonna have to go and see the head teacher. But that was in the middle of the exam, and it's interesting because he sat me down after the exam and said, "Look, you you know you are good at maths. You should be doing civil engineering." I really think you should move into civil engineering. And I said, well, okay, interesting. I'll think about it. So um, so in a nutshell, I passed my first year with flying colours. Loved it. Absolutely loved being at uni. I felt fairly, fairly compromised, but comfortable because I, I felt I needed a degree to prove myself. I had mm-hmm. to have that piece of paper. Mm-hmm. I needed that piece of paper or, or anything. So I go into my second year and... Uh, and sadly, um, my relationship um, with the guy who introduced me to Surveying in the first place um, was going downhill fast. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, um, he had a few problems with alcohol, mm. which meant life at home was a little bit scary sometimes. And it came to a head and it got to the point where I knew I had to leave. Mm-hmm. It was one of those really kind of vulnerable, volatile relationships. Yeah. Um, and I got a little bit scared. Um, and there was one particular time when you knew that enough was enough. So to all the women out there and the men indeed, who, um, who have, uh, you know, a form of domestic violence in their Mm -hmm. life, I'm with you. I know what it's like. Um, and that's probably all I need to say on that, but, but I knew it was time to go. Oh, and my uh, heart's fading. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know this. Um, you know, it's personal for me too because I came from that kind of position as well before I sort of moved away. So it's a it's a tough thing to deal with, and it's a hard thing to to a hard thing to do to leave. Yeah, it, yeah. And it was. I you know I I really 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 loved this guy, and and I think you know we kind of go in there thinking you can change the world and you can help and you know it will change and it will get better and you can help him mm. and you stick with them because you know fundamentally you love them mm. you know that when mm. when they're sober they are a different person and I, I really 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 cared you know here we go again really cared you know and, and I yeah. know that you stay because you really think it'll change and it, and it wasn't changing and there was one particular night where I I've, I, I I've never come so close to feeling really in a dangerous position mm-hmm. and I, I knew it had to change um so um I set my stall out um that I was gonna leave I had to do it carefully yeah um I had to do it with a little bit of help from um the local police I went mm-hmm. to see um mm-hmm. a domestic violence uh police officer uh they were wonderful, the police. I mean, I just sat down and cried buckets and they were saying, just, you know, you need to leave. And I, I know I need to leave, but I need to plan how to leave because I know he'll not let me go. Yes. Um, yeah. And it was going to be difficult and knew all about my life, my family, all this kind of thing. Uh, and I felt vulnerable for them because, you know, I, I didn't want to leave my parents in a precarious 
position mm. either. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so again, cutting a really long story short, I, I planned my exit and uh, my exit meant leaving Sheffield, um, leaving my family, yeah. um, just getting away um, and, and leaving as much as a, you know, or as little trail of breadcrumbs as possible. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I got away and unfortunately getting away from um, Sheffield meant getting away from university. So, and I was so, so, so upset about that. I'm, I'm quite emotional now even speaking yeah. about it because it meant that my dream of um, of getting my degree, of, 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 of making it, of, of not feeling a failure yeah. was going to come to an end because yeah. I just had to escape. And, yeah. and so um, I did escape. And, uh, and, 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 and that was that really, it was, mm. there's kind of no going back. And I suppose then you, back, you just feel back to square one because you've built up your life. Things are working well. You've got yep. money in your pocket. And then suddenly you leave with, no- I left with nothing, nothing um, yeah. apart from a load of debt <laughs> because everything was in my name, you know? And so, so it was really, really difficult. And, uh, and I needed a job again. Um, so, so here's where, um, happiness creeps in again. Um, I've always been uh, an optimist. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's got me through life. Mm-hmm. I've always been an optimist, um, and I've always been fiercely independent. And you know, I'm I'm going to get on with my life. Um, and so I moved away. I I moved to um, to to Lancashire, um, and uh, and 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 you know, just when you think you'll never fall in love again, because I don't want that ever again. Uh, I met a wonderful guy, um, and 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 he was um, a, a, a police officer. Ironically, he was a police officer, not from Sheffield. <laughs> um, and, and this is the crazy thing: I, I I'd gone out to Spain. Um, I'd found a job um, in Italy. I was I was going to move to Rome mm. um, and get over as far away as possible. And I ended up in Lancashire. And, and the funny story there: um, I called my parents, and I, I've never told my parents um half the stuff that went on I think my mum quietly knew um mm. and, and even if she listens to this she'll go I knew it yeah. <laughs> so, sorry mom I love you I kept it from you because I love you um but um but but um yeah so uh so I went out to Spain um to see my parents they were they were there uh wintering it out getting away from the horrible nasty freezing cold weather mm. that is in England um and they met a lovely couple from Lancashire and the crazy thing is, I can remember calling my mum and saying, hi, mum, I just making arrangements. I'll be at Alicante Airport at this time. So if you come and pick me up and I'm really looking forward to seeing you. And this was going to see them before I was moving to Rome. <laughs> and uh, and my mum said, uh, she said, oh, we've met this lovely, a lovely couple, Margaret and Ron from Lancashire. Oh, they're so lovely. We've been hanging around with them and going out with them. And, uh, and oh, when you come, their son's here. <laughs> He's a policeman. And I was like, no. No, please, mom, don't go there. It's not, I'm, I am not going to, there's no romantic liaison that's going to be going on. I'm coming to see you. I just want to come and see you, give you a big hug, and I'm going to go to Rome. So please don't, don't be matchmaking. You know, it's not the time. <laughs> but the crazy thing was, um, when I got out to Spain, um, I, I did meet this guy. And uh, and he'd just gone through a pretty tough time. He'd been in love and he'd, he'd been, been rejected. Um, so he was feeling pretty mm-hmm. vulnerable too, I guess. <laughs> it sounds like a pretty, you know, you know, 
I don't know. It was like Darby and Joan getting out of there because everybody was uh, was was over seventy certainly, <laughs> and uh, and I think meeting Nigel, you know, he was the youngest there as well. So maybe that was part of it. <laughs> it was like, um, you know, this is like old old folks. Bless the old folks, but you know, Nigel was also the young mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. So we went out. There was one particular night. You know, we 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 were in there. <laughs> we're in this. Um, I think some there was somebody playing the organ and somebody playing sick and somebody singing along to the organ with all the old folks and we were like it was almost like do you want to be here no it was almost like like there again in the club do you want to be here no yeah. shall we go somewhere else yes yeah. please <laughs> just repeating so we so we got off we just went to a little bar in the middle of a, a little Spanish town and we kind of just poured our hearts out to each other mm. and I'd said to him you know I I felt safe. He was a policeman. It was. It wasn't going to go any further. You know, it's just me and this random guy um, who were just talking about our lives. And it was so nice. We sat there until four o'clock in the morning. This little bar. I think we were eventually kicked out, but just talking and 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 I was telling him all this stuff. And I told. I think the more brandies I had, the more I told told him. I told yeah. him about this. I told him about this guy back home, and and you know. I love him, but it's not working out, and it's just oh, it's horrendous, and and so I'm I'm escaping, I'm I'm moving to Rome, blah blah blah, blah. and and um, and anyway, uh, he told me a lot of stuff about you know, obviously as a policeman, he dealt with domestic violence, mm. you know, he really understood what was going on. He'd certainly dealt dealt with people like my ex, and uh, I don't know, it just felt nice to offload. I've not I've not been able to offload with anybody anybody mm. it was so nice to talk to him and uh and so when I went back home and made the great escape um and it was a great escape I ended up having to call the police I went went back because this whole charade of you know everything was done secretly I, I you know my ex didn't know I was moving to Rome my god he didn't know I was moving you know mm. um and I went back home and uh and made the escape let's just leave it at that the police were involved I got away yeah and um I went to my best friend uh, to my best friend's house and um I told her that you know this all happened and 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 this guy that I met in Spain was telling me about domestic violence and everything else and the certain things I should do and blah blah, blah. anyway unfortunately um while I've been away this ex had hacked into my emails he, he was clever mm -hmm. um he'd hacked into my emails he knew suddenly that I was going world came crashing down around me um there was no more job that's for sure whatever he told the job in Rome I hadn't got a job anymore um yeah. and I think he was just desperate to keep me with him you know yeah. he didn't want to lose yep. me but he couldn't change um so so he kind of wrecked that that opportunity and um and so I, I thought, well, I'm going to go anyway. Um, you know, I, I'm going anyway. So, so I called this guy up that I met in Spain, and I said it was so lovely to talk to you, and uh, it would be kind of nice to see you before I, before I go. And um, I came up, and uh, and he and he said to me, um, I want you to meet a friend of mine. It's a lawyer. Um, some friends on the same street, um, and. Uh, I just think it would be really, really good if you talk to somebody before you, mm -hmm. you you leave, because I think there's certain things that you need to know. And uh, so I, I did. I, I I met this 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 lawyer and basically realised that 
to move abroad was just not an option because mm-hmm. everything from the business was in my name. Mm-hmm. I was responsible for, for that stuff that was in my name. Yeah. And I had an amazing bank at the time that supported me, but there was a lot of stuff that I had to sort out. Sort out, yeah. So my great escape <laughs> was not actually a great escape because I was still tied. Um, so, um, so I had to stay. So, so I, I, uh, I basically um, stayed at home. I got that stuff sorted out, and I kept in touch with this lovely guy. And we ended up, I think it was love at first sight, anyway, in mm-hmm. Spain. Um, but it was maybe. I love you for listening to me so much and caring about me and being a friend to yeah. me. Um, and I suppose I was the same to him and and we fell in love. And 23 years later, we're still together. So that was meant to be, oh, right? Another meant to yes. be. The club was meant to yep. be. I wouldn't have yep. found surveying. Yep. The guy was meant to be because I wouldn't have found my, the love of my life now. Um, so so that's, that's how things happened. And... So when I um, eventually um, moved up to Lancashire, um, I needed a job again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here we go again. I needed a job again. So I'm going through the papers. By this time, I'd got you know quite a bit of experience with surveying, with setting out. I was looking after some major projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I still go back to learning from people who were working on site. That real world learning yeah. was so influential in my life. Mm-hmm. I learned so, so much from these people, these fantastic people who were doing the job, who were building the houses, who were digging the roads and so on. Amazing, amazing people. So I had a lot of confidence in my own uh, uh, ability um, in surveying. Um, And I always say you're as good as your last job. You know, people Mm -hmm. were calling back to site. They wanted me on site because also I wouldn't just leave the site and saying, well, you know, there's your levels, guys. Get on with it. There's your brickwork levels. I would go on site and make sure everyone's okay. Do you understand the information I've left you? Are you mm. happy with this? Mm-hmm. Even one day, I can remember, and, and forgive me for reflecting back, but I remember one of the first days on site when I was working with this guy day one. One of the bricklayers, I'd set out the corners and I used to do um, the calculation. I'd leave them millimetres between um, the uh, foundation level and the DPC. I'd just give them that calculation. So it was... A number it might have been something like oh i don't know randomly 681 that was the difference between the finished floor level yep. and the top of the concrete yeah i just leave them with this number nobody told me why i needed this number the guy who taught me just said you just leave them with that number they want the difference in height mm-hmm. okay there was one day when one of the bricklayers said how many courses is that love <laughs> how many courses uh, I'll just go and put my kit away and I'll I'll come back and work it out for you. And I'm yeah. like, I remember, expletive, oh. I'm not going to say it live. Oh, I was like, you can. what does that mean? <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> no, I rung the ex. He was a boyfriend at the time, of course, but I rung him up and said, the bricklayer just asked me, how many courses is that? And, and he said, tell him to do one <laughs> because he should know that. He should know how to calculate that. I said, no, you don't understand. I want to know what that means. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what that means. And again, this is me, fresh out of banking mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. in the deep end. You know, I've not been taught this language. Yeah. What does what 
course what kind of course you know for me a course was maths <laughs> a course in maths type what, what is it shorthand <laughs> um, but but of course a course was different. the brick mm-hmm. mm-hmm. absolutely how many bricks and it was as simple as that yeah that divided by that number equals that and that's the number of courses right that's fine so I was able to go back you know back from my car and go okay just work it out for you it's that and and I was again empowered yeah absolutely empowered by just learning a little bit more of the language not from university not from I don't know some crazy knowledge that I was born with Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just from talking to people and learning from real people and it was wonderful. So, so you know that kind of moment. So I, I, um, so, so, so learning, learning, learning. I knew stuff. I knew a lot of stuff. And I thought, well, you know what? It's got, it's done me well so far. And and so I came up to Lancashire. And I, this time I was looking for jobs in the northwest. And there was not a lot of jobs around. Couldn't mm-hmm. find a surveying job. And I was getting pretty, pretty desperate because I was out of work now. Yeah. I'd escaped from Sheffield. I'd got away, but I was out of work. And then again, I was looking in the local newspaper, the Manchester Evening News, and I saw this company called Topcon. <laughs> Never heard of them. Never heard of them. I was using Jodometer. Yep. Never heard of Topcon. Although I, I said never heard of them, I do remember a lot of the levels and stuff that the, the guys were using on site mm. was, was Topcon. Mm-hmm. So I, I ring this, and it was basically for somebody in technical support. So the whole idea, I went for an interview in Manchester. Um, a lovely guy, Ian Cole, he was the manager of Manchester at the time. And uh, and I, I I said to this guy, look, I've, I've got a lot of experience with surveying. Um, I, I've done a lot of jobs. Um, I know instruments. Um, I can't get a job back in surveying. And uh, I think I could probably do this. Mm-hmm. They wanted basically somebody who, once the sales guys have been out and sold the idea of a top gun instrument then you would go in as technical support to get with the guys on the ground and show them how the instrument works you know that that was it I thought perfect I think Mm -hmm. that I I, I'm good at listening I'm good at learning so maybe I could flip it and and they can listen to me and they can learn the guys on site so I thought it was kind of the perfect job and uh and and they clearly agreed with me because I got the job. Um, so I started working for Top Compositioning Systems. Um, and this would be, I think, about the year 2000, was it? Something like that. Um, and so so I can remember my first day at work with a lovely Manchester crowd, lovely, lovely people. Um, uh, I was basically instruments, high-end instruments. Uh, I was given half a dozen instruments from... Uh, you know, robotic total stations right through to a digital level, but all the sort of high-end stuff. Mm. And the manager at the time said, okay, here are the instruments that you're responsible for. Go and sort it out. You'll be working with the sales guys. So I took a week off, went home, learned what these instruments do, because just because they're different instruments, it's still the same principle. I knew that 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 was no problem. And that's the thing. That's a great thing. It doesn't matter whether you use Topcon doesn't matter whether you use like a trimble mm. they are d- there to do a job they are at all yeah. um so and and i thought the gear was great really, really enjoyed using it and then a week later or a month later it might have been another guy um came to join topcon and he was called in stilgo and he and i became great friends so he was civil he was the software i was the instruments we were a team 
because the sort of jobs that we were or the sort of people that we were working with the companies that we were working with you know they, they were kind of high-end companies surveying companies mm -hmm. um, major projects and so on and so forth and um, they weren't kind of building site levels and you know rotating lasers you know we were we were more we were surveyors we were the yeah. surveying crew and Ian and I you know, we were we were a great team together. Uh, we worked together. Ian had been, um, uh, um, he was fully, fully qualified. I was so in admiration. It was a little bit that, oh, he's fully qualified. He's got the degree geospatial. Uh, I've not, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, so, so all my life, I, that, mm, you know, comparison, comparison. And it's a yeah. crazy thing because even though, you know, I'm 51 and nobody's ever asked me for, my, for to prove I've got my degree, mm -hmm. to prove I can do the job. Mm -hmm. how how bizarre is that yeah. so it's always been this internal I think there's a word for this and I was talking to a recent student there's a word for this around it's something like professional anxiety or performance anxiety that's the word mm -hmm. it's performance anxiety I've had that all my life am I good enough I don't wow. have a piece of paper am I good enough the piece you know, of paper doesn't mean anything the piece of paper anyway so thank you TopCon because I've always said this you know when I joined TopCon it was like joining a family um these guys were the most wonderful caring this was not work mm -hmm. they wrapped their arms around me as a whole company and uh and, and it was just great um we got on famously both in work and out of work um and Ian and I as I say were great friends the team was great. And then Topcon changed. Uh, Topcon basically started getting really, really serious about the work that we're doing. So this is the early 2000s. And, uh, and, and, and by this time, me and this wonderful man that I met in Spain, um, this Lancastrian that I absolutely was not going to be partnered with, thanks, Mum. <laughs> we'd fallen in love, we were together. The, the world was suddenly a happy place. And I had a job and a lovely family at home and a lovely family at work. And Nigel and I um, ended up um, getting married and uh, I had to leave Topcon because I was having a baby. Uh, and that was so oh. sad. Yeah, I, and the thing is I was traveling all the time and I made the decision, actually, you know something? If I have this baby, I could actually be a surveyor again mm -hmm. and go back to work yeah. and do what I love because yep. as much as I love being with Topcon mm -hmm. and I still love them now I mean you know we're in 2022 they're still my friends they're still an amazing company yep. uh, I can't thank them enough for how they've helped me and we'll probably talk about that later yes. but yeah but but I, I I handed in my notice I had my baby and thought right I'm going to go back to survey and I'm going to be survey mom <laughs> so I did so my baby was born in July 2003 and um, I took her with me in the papoose and I set up on my own, set up my own surveying company again. Nice. So there you go. Love that. I love Happy that. <laughs> yeah. So how long did you have the company for? Yeah. So, um, so I had the company for quite some years. Um, uh, it was really, really difficult. We had a massive recession. I mean, it was a great time to start surveying because the thing that made the thing that made it for me was um, winning a, a, a massive government contract. Mm -hmm. So I was subcontracted to a company who had the, the contract to survey schools. Yes. 
It was the Building Schools for the Future programme, a massive, so Labour government at the time and the Labour government committed to um, rebuilding a, a new secondary school. I think the primary schools were the same. I was working on secondary. But in the early days, they wanted um, they wanted um, to um, survey every, every school from, you know, well, right across the, the country. And so I, I started in Hackney in East London and me and my team surveyed right up the country, right up into the northeast. Mm -hmm. So my last school before the government, the new government came in and they basically said, we're not doing that anymore and, and cancelled BSF. There's so many schools let down. Oh, my God, it was awful. Yeah. But Typical. um, but it, but even then, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I recruited a Spanish surveyor mm -hmm. because I couldn't get surveyors. Mm. 2003, 2004. I recruited uh, Antonio, I think he came to work for me about 2006. Mm -hmm. God, I'm getting old. My memory fails yeah. me. But either way, yeah, around there. Spanish surveyor, because couldn't yeah. get an English surveyor. Mm -hmm. There were no surveyors. And is it funny? We're still talking about that now oh, yeah. in 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was the coolest job ever. And I suppose that was a segue into my new life now because... When you work on a school building program, you're meeting lots of kids. Mm -hmm. And when I put up that total station in the middle of a playground, a la me standing on a building site for the first time with that beautiful yes, yes. <laughs> lovely instrument, <laughs> the kids were surrounding me as I was surrounding it back then. I was yeah. still a kid at 26, you know, but but at 25 and ever. But 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 it was so interesting because all these children kind of knew they were going to have a new school mm -hmm. so what better time than to introduce them to surveying because they didn't know what a surveyor it was mm. they'd never seen one they thought it was a tv camera you must be used to that they do this in front yes. of the yep. like, hey <laughs> when am i on tv and uh and that's when i came home the very first school surrounded by these children and I can remember saying to them, you know, this is the coolest thing you'll ever do. Mm -hmm. This is a box that does magic tricks. I can tell you how far it is from here to that chimney over there because mm -hmm. it was robotic, reflectorless. Oh, yep. It was the coolest piece of kit ever. I didn't appreciate how cool it was for kids until I got with kids. Mm -hmm. And we used to play games. And I would say to them, okay, how far do you think it is from here to that wall over there? And they go, a thousand meters. A thousand meters. A thousand meters. <laughs> okay, we need to talk. <laughs> yes. Because yes. <laughs> it was like, they go, well, so how big is a meter then? And you get, oh, I don't know, is it? I don't know. Mm -hmm. How tall are you? And they might say, I don't know, 1.8 meters. Okay, well, how many of you fits between here and that wall? Because if you're saying that from here to there is a thousand, that's a hell of a lot of you. Yeah. And they go, oh no, uh, 20? Yeah, that's more like it. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. more like it. So we were talking about, you know, even body parts. You know, if you know how tall you are, then imagine how many of you lays out. And we used to have such fun. We used to have kids laid head to toe, you know, just for fun. And I, and I suddenly that's realized so cool. that mass is so much fun. This is the way to get kids enjoying mass mm -hmm. because we are going to do applied mass this is the kind of mass that I wanted when I was at school and yeah. never had the opportunity 
And here was me in the middle of a playground having a lot of fun with kids going, okay, guys, you know, and it was guys, girls were stood at the sidelines and you'd see them talking in crowds. Mm. So and again, even then, the girls were on the sidelines. It was always the boys. Yeah. yeah. Like, Come on, girls, I'm a girl, you can do this. They'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. They didn't want to because it wasn't a girl thing, you know? Mm. You could see there was mm -hmm. a real reticence. So cut long story short, short again, and, and, and my life, my long life is full of long stories short. It has to be, <laughs> because otherwise we'll be here till next week. Um, I came home um, and, you know, and I used to cry, these sites, I used to literally crush through them with a big team because I had a baby at home. Mm. So I had rheumatoid arthritis. I couldn't breastfeed. I was lining up all the bottles. I'm like, right, these, you know, hobby was great. Um, parents were great. I'd go down to site early in the morning. I'd crush through. I'd do the um, do the surveys, be processing them. I'd be back home, back with baby. So even juggling motherhood, baby, mm -hmm. my own business, I'm like, I don't know how I did it. <laughs> and still remain sane because, you know, I needed to be at home with baby. Um, and, and even the rheumatoid arthritis, I was diagnosed when I was 26. And by this time, I was back on, you know, some seriously heavy drugs for, uh, for rheumatoid. Yeah. Yeah. So I was juggling, you know, what was a chronic disease with a baby, with with my own business, with a major school building project, with all these ideas of well of of, of God, we need you know something. If we are going to stop this happening, that you know, girls don't think it's for them. Mm -hmm. If we're going to stop, you know, construction being well, you're a boy. If you can't do maths, go and do construction. I knew I had to write something. And I said to my husband, even back in the early days of BSF, I was saying to my husband, these kids don't know anything. It's terrible. They don't know that we exist as surveyors. They have no idea what the whole sort of survey world offers to them. And, and even when you talked about the other professions, building services engineering, engineering, I've always called these guys the heroes of the built environment. They make buildings work. Mm -hmm. So yes, architects, but building services engineers, what about facilities management? What about civil engineering? They didn't know about civils. So I just said to Denise, you know something, I'm working on these building schools for future programs. So these children are being squished in a room with architects generally and being asked what they want when the design was already signed off. It really used to irk me that I used to be dragged into assemblies as part of BSF and this girl with this magic box, you know, that does cool things outside. So I was giving careers talk to kids and they were fascinated. You know, I just used to set mm. the set total station going, and we'd, I'd have it in monitoring mode, so it's pinging lasers around the room, and they'd be going, whoa, look at that, a laser. They'd be fascinated by a red dot, you know, mm. how ridiculous. Yeah. But but um, but um, I just knew I had to write something. Um, So so having my own business, a struggle, and then recession hit, and the phone stopped ringing. And by this time, I'd had to let my um, staff go. It was a real awful, awful time. I had to make redundancies. Everybody remembers 2008. You know, it's it's one chapter of the book that you really, really, really hit everybody hard. You know, mm -hmm. my surveying friends lost their jobs. Well, everybody was losing jobs. Sites were just left standing, um, half-built houses, all that kind of stuff. So I said to my husband, um, by this time, you know, uh, my daughter, 2008, so she'd be five. She was starting school, so that was easier. She was at school all day. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I said, can I take six months off? 
and just write this stuff that's been in my head all these years because I just think that if we could give children something where at least they had even a day where they could be a surveyor, then that would be helpful. Mm -hmm. So that takes me nicely into my new life. What you are doing right my now, which is one. absolutely awesome, which is I'm very excited about because I love to hear about what you're doing with your new company. Well, not new anymore, I guess. We say it's uh, been around for a little while now, but class of your own. Yeah. Tell yeah. me about so, it. Tell us about it. Tell everybody what you are doing, <laughs> what you are doing in schools because it's amazing. And Okay. It's well, I have to say our teachers and our students are amazing, you know, and it's just like a total station is a tool. Mm -hmm. Kids needed a tool mm -hmm. and teachers needed a tool. So so um, I had a couple of friends that I was working with at the time. And, you know, I think it's fair to say that anybody who works with, anybody who works in industry has got time for children. Um, we're often parents ourselves. Mm -hmm. But volunteering is, is a challenge because, you know, if you're asked to do a careers talk as a surveyor, the thought to most people of standing up in front of 300 kids and giving a survey talk the careers talk is petrifying you know yeah because <laughs> I don't remember um so I had this idea um that if we could write a little workshop where children you know the new school building programs these schools were 20 million pound builds they were massive builds mm -hmm. and that kind of tokenism of touring kids around site doing a careers talk as a surveyor or an architect or an engineer or a site manager you know, going around with a hard hat as a kid. And, you know, I mean, the tokenism that went on at the time and still goes on now, you know, we, we have to tick boxes for social value. When you build something, particularly in the public sector, you have to be giving back to the community. It's a given. Yep. It's called ESG, you know, it's environmental social governance, it's social value, it's corporate social responsibility. Whatever you want to call it, you know, we have to give back to, to society mm -hmm. as, as industry. And I thought, well, you know something? It's great touring kids around building sites and showing them for real what happens. And it's great to put little kids in hard hats and dress them up in yellow jackets and make them feel like professionals for the day. But when they go to home and they go to their parents and say, hey, mom, dad, I, I had this great day today. I met these engineers and surveyors and they took us around site and it was really, really cool. Why is the what next? Yeah. Because they're going to school the next day and say, oh, sir, I, you know that thing we did yesterday with those people? Can we do that again, please? There's not any room in the timetable for that. It's a mm -hmm. one-off. Mm -hmm. And even with the careers advice, it was just never joined up. I've always said, you know, never mind the kids in hard hats and yellow jackets. Let's put the careers teachers in hard hats and yellow jackets. Mm -hmm. Let's get them out on site for the day because they're the people who need to know what we do. Yeah. And actually, you know something? We're not just scaffolders and joiners and bricklayers. We are so much more. Mm -hmm. Because when you're building a school, that's fundamentally all the children are seeing. They're seeing people who are building stuff. So it's no surprise that when you ask children, give me a role in construction, they say a builder, because that's all they're party to. The visual. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. occasionally they might, might meet an architect. But more often than not, that new building anyway is surrounded by hoardings that are you know, eight feet high mm -hmm. and the kids can't see in anyway. <laughs> it's a yeah. dangerous place. We have to put this big fence around it to keep you out. Mm. 
So here we are saying to children, you could be doing this, but we're going to keep you out because it's dangerous. I mean, <laughs> that does not make sense. No, you know, you don't have it. to be good at, English, at maths to work out that there is no logic in that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I just thought to myself, I'll write a little workshop. And the reason why I called this workshop A Class of Your Own is because, so A Class of Your Own, what does that symbolise? You can be amazing. Mm-hmm. You can be unique. You mm-hmm. can be aspirational. You can be the top of your class. You're in a class of your own. Yep. You know what? If you're in a class of your own for baking a cake, you've made the best cake ever, you know? And I thought this is probably as simple as baking a cake. If I can give a recipe yeah. and instructions on mm-hmm. how to make that cake, mm-hmm. i.e. how to be an architect, an engineer, a surveyor, an FM, a business manager, a sustainability officer. I mean, even at the time, we were talking about sustainability in schools. There was the Sustainable Schools National Framework. There was a program called the Eight Doorways in schools where we had to think about energy, water, travel and traffic, buildings and grounds, inclusion, well-being, all these things mm-hmm. that we talk about now, years on. That was an initiative, again, that came out of a former government. It was the Labour government at the time. Whole massive marketing campaign. I've yet to go into one school, and I tell a lie, one head teacher, I'm going to give a big shout out to Michelle Forbes, who's now in Abu Dhabi. She's an amazing, um, well, she was a head teacher, teaching in schools of the Northeast at the time. It's the only head teacher I've ever met who's heard of the Sustainable Schools National Framework and the Eight Doorways. Oh and I thought, this is marvellous. Here's a school that needs to be sustainable. So what we're trying to teach in the classroom is how to be sustainable. And buildings and grounds is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Nobody was using it. And so I'm thinking energy, water, transport, buildings, grounds, inclusivity, well-being. We do this in the built environment. Mm-hmm. Water, civil engineering, yep. energy, building services engineering, mm-hmm. buildings and grounds, surveyors, spatial awareness. I thought, my God, there's a great opportunity to bring that amazing amazing thing that was developed that nobody had heard of and nobody's using because who teaches sustainability bits of geography it might be a bit of personal development Mm. is it citizenship Mm -hmm. where the hell does that fit because there wasn't a subject called sustainability and then when you think about the built environment and building schools for future building new school buildings there's all these amazing people so i was thinking architecture engineering construction meets sustainability let's bring the two together so I basically, work, I wrote a, a workshop where children, instead of designing big schools and really, really too big, let's take something that's child-sized. Mm-hmm. Let's call it a classroom. Let's design a standalone classroom. And what's more, let's have it the eco classroom. So you've got to use the same renewable energy, the same renewable uh, sustainable materials, the same workforce. Mm-hmm. You have to design it. You have to engineer it. You have to construct it. There's a theme here. Mm-hmm. So let's just do it as a workshop for a day. And a lot of the um, time, and it's still happening now, there's a thing called Enterprise where we do a drop-down day in school where kids pretend to be business people and they have to form their own companies and they have to come up with a product and they have to pitch it like Dragon's Den. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, if kids can design T-shirts and pitch it to a Dragon's to buy my T-shirt, because that was going on, 
Um, and even the young enterprise stuff that I was doing at the time was, you know, design a community centre, but people were pretending to be architects. Volunteers were pretending, parents coming in, I'll pretend to be an architect. They didn't know anything about architecture. They knew <laughs> nothing about, hang on, before you design something, are you talking to children about measurement of space? What? what? <laughs> <laughs> So, so the program, A Class of Your Own, was all about children choosing a role that they were interested in. So do you like the outdoors and mathematics? I had yep. to get that in there. Yep. Yep. If, you, if you do, you could be a surveyor. Mm-hmm. Do you like design and computers? You could be an architect. Mm-hmm. But even then, computers, the whole digitalization, you know, the whole move towards BIM and so on and so forth. Yep. I was talking about, you know, architects sat there in lofty offices with a crayon. <laughs> No, no, they don't. (laughs) They don't. Yes, they're hugely creative. They've got massive vision. But they don't sit down just with a sketch pad. They turn those sketch pads into real ideas. They Mm. that eventually that amazing sketch, that concept design eventually gets put through a computer and turned into, you know, a 3D design. And let's not even go 3D, 4D, 5D, 6D. Mm-hmm. We were struggling with 2D in school, yeah. never mind yeah. 3D. Yeah. So so there was another opportunity to have children using real software. Let's get them sketching. Let's get them turning that into a digital design. So, so there's three themes. Sustainability, let's call it STEM, you know, the yep. STEM agenda or the STEAM agenda. So all the things that kids were learning and never applying anywhere, as in when I was at school, mm-hmm. there's all these amazing professionals out there who wanted to volunteer and help, but couldn't really find a conduit to do yep. that. Yep. Um, so let's bring this whole thing together. And then the whole thing around digitalization, the kids were making things on computers with software um, to pull and push and do designs. So let's have them do a building. So again, in a nutshell, Eco Classroom was born. We brought volunteers into real architects. The kids would choose to be an architect. So they go off for an hour with an architect. They go off with land surveys. We'd measure space. This is the mm-hmm. space that the architects have to design in. We talk about landscape architecture because the school grounds are as much a part of the school environment as the building was and often made that environment. Just mm-hmm. nobody was talking about landscape architecture. We talked about FM building services, the engineering that needs to go on to make the building comfortable, to make it cool in summer and warm in winter. That's science, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the kids would choose their roles. They'd go off with experts, proper people, real people, and they come back as a team and they fight out about what the design should be like. The architect might want loads of glass and the building services engineer is saying that's not going to work because that thermal properties of glass are not good enough. You might need to think about this. It was amazing. It was 12-year-olds emulating real life mm. just for a day. And the kids knew absolutely nothing at 9 o'clock in the morning, but my God, by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, they pitched to dragons who, again, were real judges. And the stuff that those kids were coming out with for these designs were just incredible. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if we can do that in a day, imagine if this was a subject mm-hmm. where they had yeah. dedicated time and a timetable and imagine if teachers actually taught this subject mm-hmm. and that teachers were trained in our industry methods so that they could teach what we do, but through the lens of STEM. Yeah. How amazing would that be mm. if science teachers, if math teachers, if teachers who taught engineering, but they was kind of making things in school 
and particularly maths teachers. Maths has always been my thing. I think you get the drift mm -hmm. there. Yep, yep. got that. <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing if they had a subject that when that 12-year-old Alison Watson put a hand up and said, why are we learning Pythagoras? Why are we doing geometry? Why are we doing measurement? Mm -hmm. What's it all for? Yep. They could say, aha, because surveyors do this, architects do that, building service engineers do this in physics. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Pretty and, simple, isn't it? You know something? It is mm -hmm. so simple. I've always said, my God, this is not rocket science, people. Mm -hmm. and, and what it also gave was people like me who were surveyors and architects and so on, it also gave us an opportunity to get into the classroom and go, okay, setting out. Mm -hmm. That's Pythagoras theorem. And this is how it works. Get your coats on, kids. We're going outside. And so the kids were having fun. Yep. They were seeing the purpose, seeing the mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And because they were seeing the point, they were enjoying the maths. The, the maths teachers suddenly were able to answer the questions around what's the real life application of this. So they had aspiration. Mm. That was the biggest thing. Yep. So six months, <laughs> six months in, I thought there's something here. I have to write more stuff. This is a subject. So um, set up um, class of your own. Um, so drop the R. The workshop was still there. Um, me and a lovely architect friend that I set up at the time, um, we set up this little thing um, called class of your own. So architect, surveyor, um, we just thought this was the thing to do. Unfortunately, surveyor, um, we, we stuck, he stuck at it for a couple of years. And I understand this, you know, this was not, you know, you don't get into education to make money. There is no money in education. Mm -hmm. So already I was changing from, you know, commercial brain, have to win the work. You know, I'm a surveyor, I need to keep the money coming in. To suddenly absolutely leaning on my husband and saying, this has to happen. Um, I wasn't bringing any money in. Yeah. You know, uh, class of your own when it started always had a charitable focus um our memorandum and articles was about non-distribution of profit it's all about the kids it had to be mm -hmm. because you know here were we we were championing a, a brand new subject something that you know a b-tech construction was always about the trades you know it was at the time when boys went off to do construction at college yeah and girls went off to do hairdressing and so on. There was never a high-end, academically focused STEM subject that was the built environment. It just wasn't there. didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, th the thing is, if we are going to really, really win, we have to be academic about this. We have to have parents and teachers and head teachers saying, oh, this is university. And that pained me somewhat because mm -hmm. of my experience told me that actually university yeah absolutely great places but it's not the be all and end all there were other routes but unless you had the university tag attached to the subject unless you were saying this gets you to university and was respected by universities and had an academic profile mm. we were never going to get a subject over the line so uh, we won an innovation voucher from the northwest development agency and i went to I met a lovely, lovely guy. I'm going to give a shout out to two phenomenal people. Um, there was a, a, a lovely guy, um, uh, Charlie uh, Charlie Smith. He was the head of sustainable architecture at Liverpool John Moores University. 
And there was another guy who was retired now, but he had such an influence on my life. Um, he was called Peter Horsfall, and he was head of the School of Education, uh, or certainly uh, uh, he was all into um, experiential learning, work-based mm -hmm. learning. Mm -hmm. He's a, He was an academic, an educator, who completely got the value of learning through the real world of work. Yeah. And he and I, when he and I got together, I basically worked with John Moore's University for three years because I un I needed to understand pedagogy. Mm -hmm. Pedagogy, pedagogy, potatoes, potatoes, tomatoes, tomatoes. Either way, pedagogy was so important to understand because if I was to, to influence head teachers, the decision makers of education and the government, because let's face it as well, if we were going to make a subject, the government had to back it. Yes. So I needed to understand the language of education. Mm -hmm. What were the policies? And, and, you know, even a funny story, there was a thing called PELTS in the day. PELTS was an acronym <laughs> in the same way BIM is an acronym that a lot of people in education don't understand. PELTS was an acronym for personal learning and thinking skills. So it was okay. all those critical thinking, yep. problem solving, mm -hmm. uh, confidence, all the we call them soft skills, it's a horrible term for it, but we call them soft skills. So wouldn't it be amazing if the subject not only embedded STEM and STEM applications through the lens of the built environment this time, but also embedded all those pelts, all those soft skills, personal learning and thinking mm -hmm. skills. And the crazy thing is I kept hearing pelts, 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 and I was Googling P-E-L-T-Z, thinking that this was some Swiss educator who developed some kind of <laughs> mode of thinking and I remember saying to to Peter Horsfall one day we were sat having a coffee and I always used to make his brain ache he used to say he used to sit with his hands he used to sit like this and rub his head I'll let you make my brain ache you always give me a headache because <laughs> I always tell me everything again tell me everything Peter I want to learn from you what is who who is this pelts guy what pelts guy what pelts guy well, you know, you keep going on about pelts this, pelts that. You know, is it some great philosopher? I don't know. What is it, great pelts? What, what is that? Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, for God's sake, Ali. Personal learning and thinking skills. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm still learning. So ultimately, that one-day workshop got serious. Um, and it became design, engineer, construct. Sat down with 300 kids all around the Northwest, Liverpool and Manchester, found out how they wanted to learn, what they wanted to learn, what they knew about the built environment, what engaged them, what excited them. And the whole idea of the eco classroom became a subject and we called it design engineer construct. Mm -hmm. And even with the title, you'll see the logo, it's design dot, 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 engineer dot, 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 construct exclamation mark. Who has an exclamation mark? in a subject. I think mm. we're the only qualification in the world <laughs> that has an exclamation mark. And why is it an exclamation mark? Because it's exciting, that's why. It was a crescendo. The whole thing, you know, from design to engineering to constructing, the whole thing was a crescendo that ends up in this amazing end product mm. that is sustainable, that is absolutely community oriented, that absolutely has the end user, everybody's happy. Yeah. And the main people who are happy are the children yeah and the other people who are happy are the teachers because suddenly they had a purpose in life for why do we teach this stuff never mind why do we learn this stuff but why do we teach this stuff 
So the whole learning program, it was so important. It was all about the teacher. Because if we have a great teacher, you you remember your best teacher at school. Mm. You wanted to be in the class. You want to learn. You hung on every word. That teacher was always the fantastic teacher where you wish you had them every single lesson. Yeah, that's right. And I exactly. wanted teachers to feel like that, mm-hmm. you know, because teachers, and still now, teachers are our best chance at transforming the world in which we live. Mm-hmm. They have the most influence. I know a lot of people say parents have the most influence, but let's face it, if this great teacher is sending you home with homework where you are designing buildings, designing infrastructure, for homework and parents looking over your shoulder and going, little Johnny, what is that you are doing? Because that doesn't look like the stuff I learned at school. Mm-hmm. And he's going, well, daddy, I'm designing a building. <laughs> I know I'm 12, but it can be done. <laughs> so that was 12. the whole idea. Yep. You know, that yep. was the whole idea. Let's start really young. We do stuff with primary school children as well. But that age 11 to 14, when children are making the biggest decisions in their lives in England and mm-hmm. Scotland, in the UK, when they're having to choose something that will define them for the rest of their lives. They're called GCSEs now. I'm 14 years old. I suddenly have to choose eight subjects that will define me and will send me down a certain pathway. Now, were you ready at 14 to make those no decisions? No way. No. At 16? No. I, I'm still making decisions at 51. No. Yep. I was going to say, I'm still going. <laughs> So the whole point for me was at least if we can give them an understanding of, you know, when you think about the built environment, yes, there's all the professional people like us, but there's also all the trades, there's all the technical professions, but there's also marketing, sustainability, HR, Mm. business development, accountancy, you know, quantity surveyors. I mean, accountancy, quantity surveyors, if you want to do finance, be a QS. But there's accountants, there's construction lawyers. Mm. You know, when you think about construction law, you know, if you think about traditions, we have law, finance, medicine, you know, and I always bring it back to surgery. If you're going to be a surgeon, you don't become a surgeon by having a degree. You could become a surgeon by opening people up and doing it for real. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference? Yeah. And yet surgery, I want to be a surgeon. It's massive. Yeah, it is. But if you say, I want to be an engineer or I want to be a surveyor, you know, when you think about survey and getting things right, you know, building a bridge where the two ends have got to meet in the middle, the channel tunnel, the two the tunnels have to meet in the middle. That is about precision. Yep. And this is my big bugbear. And the reason why I want children to learn what we do as people is that if we get it wrong, we endanger lives mm. in the same way as a surgeon will. Mm-hmm. Different way, but the same, if you know what I mean. If we don't get that bridge right, if we don't get that building right, look at Grenfell in London as, as one of the most, you know, the, 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 that is a terrible legacy for our industry. And that's because people got it wrong. Mm-hmm. So when I'm a brain surgeon and I'm, and I'm doing heart surgery, I am saving people's lives. And I get that. You're saving that people's lives. Their heart is in your hands. But also as an industry, we are we are saving people. We are designing well. We are doing the right thing. We are engineering well. And if you think about the big colossal problem, saving the planet, our industry is contributing 40% of the world's carbon. We have to do better. Mm-hmm. So, my God, the, the next mantra for me with children is, do you want to save the planet? 
be in construction. That's big. Yeah. Wow. I didn't really. So I'm afraid my six months turned into 13 years. (laughs) Uh, When you've done level one, you've got to do a level two because the 14 year olds want something else. So write something from 14 to 16, write something from 16 to 18. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, design engineer construct became a whole pathway from 11 to 18 years old with a teacher training program, with an amazing adopt-to-school program. And I want to say thank you publicly to Position Partners in Australia because when we wanted to bring DEC to Australia and um, lovely uh, um, um, people from um, engineering world um, also wanted to bring DEC, they heard about it through Bentley Systems, um, position partners were the people who stepped up and said, you know something, we know TopCon, TopCon have talked about you. We'd love to work with you. How can we help? Mm. Um, so um, there was also a lovely lady called um, Susan Creamer Pickford. She's Engineers Australia. Right. She wanted to make this work over here because, again, she said there's nothing like this for school kids in Australia. No, there's not. So, so with Susan uh, Creamer Pickford, um, there was a lovely guy, Andrew Compson, who worked for Bentley at the time. Big up to Andrew, great guy. He got together and then we said, you know something, if we're going to do this, let's find a school that really, really, really gets this. Because, you know, we if you're going to start in a <laughs> in a new country, you're going to start in a new city, you kind of need a school that gets it. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to start in a new country, you really need a school that is going to champion this industry. And also a school that demonstrates diversity and demonstrates that, Whoever you are as a child, whatever colour you is your skin, whatever gender you are mm-hmm. or aligned to, mm-hmm. this can be for you. Yep. And um, Andrew and Susan told me about a great school um, in Western Australia in Perth um, that could be the school for us. And apparently there was a really, really great head teacher there mm-hmm. who did some incredible stuff around STEM. So maybe that could be the school for us. And indeed, that opens up the whole Deck Goes International mm. because there was a perfect school. It was called, uh, it is called Cecil Andrews College um, in, in, in Perth. And the lovely head teacher, um, Stella, is exactly that. She's visionary, she's progressive, she's ambitious for her children. And also for First Nation children, there's some amazing children in that school. Um, the Aboriginal uh, children in the school as well. Uh, um, I, I'm not sure what the statistics are, but it's a high percentage of Aboriginal children. And and if there's ever a school that so that basically says to a child, you can be anything, mm-hmm. no matter where you've come from, your background, you can be anything. It's that school. Yep. So deck is now in australia yeah which is awesome the only thing that that gets me is that it's not a public school is it it's not a government school yeah 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 Yeah, i think it's a government school is it okay yeah stop your timeline yeah because let me check on that i'm sure it's a government school it's not it's not private not private but an independent yeah, but they are, they're not fee payers. They don't pay a fee to be there. So what does that make it? Let me just have a look. Because that's one of the reasons we went with them. Um, 
because getting something like this into a school, uh, uh, like to get through the programs, to, to get through the system in these state schools is so difficult. So that's yeah, why I, I think... always thought that it wasn't a government school. No, I'm sure it's a government school. Um, what was it, Cecil? I'm just looking at What's it called? Cecil Andrews College. They, uh, about our school, our college. Let me just have a look. Yeah, we better get that right. Uh, yeah, an independent public school. Okay, In yeah. So, So I I don't they're independent because they can they they're doing what they like and this is why they're doing so much in STEM, but um, I okay. don't. So think it's an independent public school is a public school that has demonstrated its capacity to use its increased flexibilities and responsibilities to make local decisions, kind of thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's a Western so that's a Western Australian thing as well. Yeah. Benefits of an independent school. Committed proactively school. Um, greater independence for local decision-making, which directly reflects the needs of their students. Open governance relationships with communities. I mean, off record, there's some really deprived children here. I mean, seriously deprived. I was in the classroom and there was one particular boy. I don't know how I stopped myself from breaking down, giving him a big hug because his background is just horrendous, yeah. you know. These are, these are children with no money and the area is you know we're talking yeah. deprivation yeah. yeah okay um yeah i think okay so they have a bit more freedom yeah but they're a public school yeah. that's that's okay. right. yeah so okay that's all right i'll rephrase that yeah no worries Okay, so that school is is a government school, but it's an independent school, which means that what yes. they have, yeah, so they have um, greater freedom to do these sorts yeah. of things, to choose the types of ways they want to actually deliver to the students. Yeah, to totally. And and you can see that through what they're delivering, you know, with the, 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 mm -hmm. the, I think they were the first P-TECH school and so on, you know, and, I, and, and you see it in the school. I was lucky enough to come over to Perth just a couple of months ago and, and be in the classroom. A great teacher there as well, Aaron. He's uh, 
his background um you know in, in architecture um so he got it as well yeah um the whole team actually steve you know uh the, 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 these are great guys in in that school and um and basically they um they have a certain freedom because they are exemplary in what they do yeah and i think the thing with stella i remember talking to stella jimman um before we kind of agreed or before she agreed to have a look at deck i remember talking to stella and thinking you know just like you and i we had so mm-hmm. many similarities mm-hmm. uh, her vision for the children you know it makes that whole no child left behind thing um you know they are if ever you want to see no child left behind <laughs> go to cecil andrews and you know when you just That's get amazing. a sense that the school is the right school for, for deck yeah, because we 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 work in independent schools. We work in any schools because mm. I don't see children in their background. I just see children. Yes, yeah. I even have an argument, and this is this is a fact. Actually, there was another school. I'm not going to name names, but there was another school in Perth that was a private girls' school that was was interested. Mm-hmm. The teachers were interested, but it was just university or bust, and they did not get the opportunity again. Yeah, you know, which, which is private but, schools that. That that they're aiming for that university sort of thing. Aim high and high to them just means university yeah. and the top university. Yeah. That it's the same in the UK. Yeah. And what was really really sad is that even at the time, I was thinking, well, you know, something in terms of depri- deprivation. I've always said this: children who are in the best private schools mm. around the world are deprived of our industry because it's never on their radar mm. to be the great surveyor, the great engineer, the great architect, mm. or maybe the great architect, maybe architecture has always won through. But in terms of the list of the best careers in the world, you will never find, um, you know, if you're going to be digital, you'll be a computer scientist. We have commu- computer scientists yeah. in the built environment. Yeah, it will never get mentioned because, mm. again, the term construction mm-hmm. is way dirty, down it's a dirty word <laughs> oh it's not for people yeah. at this school yeah. oh no 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 no. yeah you know yeah. something i'm not i'm not going to name names i'm going to leave you an, another little anecdote i remember doing a presentation in a top real estate estate firm in london and i was there on behalf of a certain professional institution and that institution the lady who was head of learning at the time really lovely lady and she took me to one side and she got hold of my arm before we went into this top real estate company who were wanting to think about a GCSE in real estate and property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She took me by the hand and she said, words exactly, darling, don't mention construction in here. They will not like it. It's a dirty word. Oh, oh okay. But they're in a building. It's construction. Yes, but it's not what they do. Their property. Their property. Don't say construction. Okay, no problem. Mm-hmm. I won't say construction. I got around the board, but the board t- table. I think every other sentence I said construction. <laughs> nice. I said, guys, let's face it. You would not be sat in this beautiful building and driving your big fast cars if it wasn't for construction, because we build your real estate. We give you your clients. So mm-hmm. let's not beat around the bush. You're in construction, whether you like it or not. <laughs> so even breaking those barriers, you know. Um, Mm. Was was really really important, but no. So Cecil Andrews College, great people in the college. You know they were really really fantastic. You know so Aaron Young, um, we got John the teacher in there. Uh, we got uh, Steve. Um, I met the careers teacher, fantastic guy who looked after careers. 
I mean, everybody in that school is just about the kids. And you know, when you felt like you'd come home, <laughs> that's what it was like in Cecil Andrews. And I could only be there for a couple of days. I met Stella, I met some of the, uh, I met Stella, I met Susan, I met Andrew. And you know, this whole COVID thing and not being able to yeah. hug those people who've been so supportive. It was so nice to be there and just give everybody a great big hug and meet the children. And position partners came in. We had a day on site surveying. It was just wonderful. It was amazing. And and now what Cecil Andrews wants to do um, is, is really look at our level three program, particularly to create that aspirational professional pathway mm-hmm. into the built environment because you know, the TAFEs are great. They do great stuff like FE does over here. But you're not always going to find that professional route in. And I must admit, you know, I did have a conversation with a, a couple of people in a TAFE. And you could see that they didn't want to change. You know, what they teach is what they taught for years. And that's fine. They're comfortable with that. But <laughs> it's not exactly working, you know. No, it's not. It's still it? don't know what surveys are. Mm. So, so there's a big ambition there at Cecil Andrews. I mean, we're doing an amazing thing um, with the Perth Symphony Orchestra, with with uh, West Australia Development. We're going to give all these kids an amazing two week work experience um, oh, at the end of their term this year. Uh, every single child who's on the deck course is going to work with architects, engineers, and surveyors. They're going to design um, a recording studio for the Perth Symphony Orchestra and a live performance space. It's just amazing what's going on there. And we almost need to have another podcast in a month's time so I can tell you all about it and maybe even podcast with the school. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, we could do that. So, yeah. For yeah, sure. meet the kids. For sure. <laughs> Probably oh, the, youngest ever, the youngest ever on your podcast. But, uh, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just so refreshing. Um, the, the thing that concerns me is like, I don't know if those types of schools are in other states, these independent type schools that are still part of under, you know, the government education. Yeah. Because, you know, I've, I've worked with the education department. We've helped them build STEM programs for high schools, for um, electives and and things like that. Thankfully um, there was some math teachers who, have kind of grabbed onto the end of it and run with it and done created resources using um, surveying principles to do maths and stuff and and create exercises outside and all this sort of stuff Um, because they could see that this is real life this will get the kids interested and then they could go on to these these stem yep onto these stem programs but it's it's new you got to get everybody on board. They've got to do all the resources. They've they've got to get the teachers on board. So the mass teachers have been. Mm-hmm. Um, they wrote everything. Here you go, wrapped up in a nice little package. You don't have to do a thing, but read it, understand it, ask questions if you need to, and teach it. Take them outside and teach them, mm-hmm. and see what they can yeah. actually do. And and it's hopefully it takes on. But that's just New South Wales. And what schools yeah. in New South Wales will take they take it on? Because mass teachers normally like to just follow the book. And then what teachers have you got that or what schools have you got that are actually going to um, take on these STEM programs as electives 
and who's going to teach them and, you know, all of this sort of stuff that it's a massive thing. And then you've got that in our schools. And then I was speaking to someone in South Australia who wanted to do something similar, a surveyor. And I'm like, well, yes, there is, this is happening here, but it's like, well, we've got to make sure it works here before we can take it there. Or, you know, it's New South Wales. So are they going to let go of it and, and allow it to go to a different state to go into schools there and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, oh, just. But you used the word there, you use the word allow. Mm. And that's the problem. Mm. And that's why, you know, you have to have governments understand this because governments will allow teachers to do this. And you know something, you know, you know, there's the old thing about, oh, teachers, they have all these holidays. They don't. Teachers no, they don't. are the hardest working people I have I ever, 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 ever met. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and again, they're teaching there for the kids. They are absolutely in it for the kids. They are doing, yeah. they are up burning the midnight, midnight oil every single night for these mm-hmm. kids. And when they do get to have a holiday, my God, you know, that they're, they're preparing for next term. They're finishing off last year. You know, when they go and, yeah. and lay on a beach somewhere for two weeks, I bet they sleep all, all fortnight. Yeah. You know, I, I can tell you, my, my two sister-in-laws, one's a primary school teacher and one is a high school teacher. And yeah, they're always working. And I know when I was teaching at TAFE, we went down for holidays one year, what must have been June, July, I don't know, whatever holidays it was. It was though I think they had just I think her students had just done their trial HSC stuff. So she was going yeah. through and marking that stuff. We're sitting there in our holidays at the kitchen table doing work. Well yeah. all the rest of the family are out there. Having fun. Yourself. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, uh, Having a holiday. Yeah. 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 So they... And I think that's the thing. I mean, I my, my message to governments is, you know what? This is great for teachers too. Because I the, I remember um, there's, a, there's a lovely um, a lovely young teacher. Um, she's, I mean, she's phenomenal. Um, Katie uh, in Jersey. Um, She's at um, the Kennevay School, and she, and she actually said to me, this is why I got into teaching. She adores mm-hmm. Deck. Deck. You know, she's like a stick of rock now. If I chopped her in half, you would see Deck going round and round and round. <laughs> she absolutely, and she said, this is why I got into teaching. There's, so many teachers have come back and said, you know something, it's lovely because the kids are so excited. That excites me. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the most extraordinarily wonderful teachers who teach Rose? I mean, I recruit one, Dan, Dan McDonough, the number of children that he's got through his program. Mm. And even his school, you know, when he, when he, I, I eventually, he came to work for me for two days a week. We had a relationship with the school. And then he came to, to work for me full time because ultimately his school had, was were put in such a position by the government with sixth form that they had to pull the, they had to pull the program. They had to pull the sixth form. So they no longer had a sixth mm. form for 16 to 18 years old. They could no longer offer the pathway. Yeah. And when Dan left, it all stopped. Because here, the curriculum is so narrow. And to do anything outside, the English baccalaureate even, the core subjects, the master sciences, the languages, the humanities, to do anything, we have option blocks here in the mm. UK. You have to do maths and English, that's a given. And, and so it should be. You have to pick a science, you have to pick a language, you have to pick a humanity. So your right. your sciences, your languages, your geography, mm-hmm. your history, you have to pick one. These are those options at 14 years old. And you have buckets. So all the science, the the humanities languages are in bucket two. Bucket yeah. one, compulsory bucket, you have to pick maths and English. And then in bucket three, 
the lovely little bucket three is all the other creative subjects. So your drama, your 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 design technology, design engineer construct is in bucket three. Uh, music, music is in bucket three. And when you think about the scientific investigations that have gone on around music and mathematics, the children who do music perform better in mathematics. There is there is evidence out there. And yet we make it an option where the children are so hammered by, you know, we have to take things in these option blocks so that your choice might be one nice creative subject yeah. that you can stuff in at the end. Yeah. You know, even PE, PE, obesity is a global problem, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. PE is a third subject, a third option. Gosh. So, so even the kids who you love being outdoors, the sport is the outdoors. Even they're marginalized now. And I, I have a real issue with children as young as 14 having to make all these decisions, being channeled down a certain route. And then they get to 16 and they're channeled further down a certain route where mm. your academic is the A-level box, mm. you know, it's mm. one of these subjects. And all right, they have a little more freedom at A-level. They're choosing to focus on three A-levels. But again, the built environment, A-level, academia. No. It marginalized, marginalized, marginalized all the time. And there's a time when it comes when we say, please let children be children, let ch- teachers be teachers, and give a purpose for learning. Mm. What is the purpose? And even if you do design engineer construct and you get to 16 and you go, you know what, or even 14, you go, not, you go, you know what, built environment's not for me. Coming right back to those soft skills, those personal learning and thinking skills, the critical thinking that we need to yeah. solve all the problems of the future for this planet. Mm-hmm. We've had those marvelous interactions with industry professionals. They've been made to think on their feet, to, to, to apply problem-solving techniques, to, 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 to think about energy use, to think about water use, to think about saving the planet, building mm-hmm. better buildings, mm-hmm. thinking about communities, thinking about disability, you know, all our children design for everyone. Now, what children ever get the opportunity to empathize with disability in, in mathematics or in physics? It doesn't happen. Yeah. In DEC, it does. So when children are coming out at the other end, not only do they have all this knowledge, they have all these wonderful skills. They have behaviors. They have a certain degree of competency, but they certainly have behaviors of professionals. Mm. Our children know to go and shake your hand and look you in the eye when they speak to you. They want to impress you. They want to job with you. They want to come. Yeah. They've got an appetite for success. Yeah. And I think there's so much that we ignore that schools could be doing if only, and used to use your word, if only they were allowed to do it. And to me, great leadership in government says, you know what? This world has changed so much since Victorian times. We need to be critical thinkers. We need to be thinking on our feet. And we absolutely need to apply our knowledge to be able to solve the problems and the real world problems of the world today. They're very, very different to when I was a child and certainly to when, you know, forgive me, some of the old fogies who were in government, (laughs) certainly to when they were children. So I think the whole philosophy here is around just making stuff accessible, you know, making mm-hmm. real world accessible and giving our children some of the tools that they need to survive in what is a very challenging world. I think design engineer construct is just one of the tools. I think we could create an amazing group of tools that that look at health, yeah. medicine, you know, that look at 
other um, uh, sectors of, of industry and just apply the same philosophy. It's mm. not rocket science. Yep. It's just bringing the real world into the classroom. Mm. Yeah. I should maybe get being, get into politics, but I haven't got the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and also I'd never get, I'd never get anything done. <laughs> I mean, that's that, and that's what half of it comes down to is the politics and the politicians making decisions. That yeah. they're not, they're not at the level of the community. They don't no. know. They don't. I don't know. They don't seem to understand the decisions yeah. that they're making. I mean, coming from the TAFE background and the people making the decisions when I was there, it's like you're you're making decisions. And you're putting things into place that are f- affecting the forefront of what we're trying to do. You're taking away from the teachers. You're taking away from the students. You're putting upper management in to manage everything and taking it all away from where it needs to be. Yeah. And there's yeah. people that are making those types of decisions that have never stepped one foot into a classroom. Yeah. You know, there are, there are, there are, if I think about our government at the moment, um, there are people, there are people who say, well, you know, all of them went to Eton, all went to Oxford, you mm-hmm. know, they were all from privileged backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So I say this, yeah, and, and they don't understand the common man. That's the thing. They don't understand yeah. what it's like in the real world. You know, they all had privileged lifestyles. So, so I kind of say this, you know, if you speak to a lot of politicians, um, and, and probably particularly the men, um, they probably had cricket or rugby as their favourite subjects. They loved being playing cricket. I played cricket for Oxford. I played cricket for Eton. You know what? They didn't have the problem of, of having to choose. They could always play cricket. Mm. They would never have to give up their cricket. Yep. They are now asking children to give up cricket because once they're 14 years old, if they don't choose PE, they have to just do it through a club. You know, and hope that the school does cricket. Mm. You know, I remember schools were, were selling off land yeah. because the schools needed money. So how many um, schools sold off playgrounds, playing fields, you know? Mm. And this is the thing. I think, I think politicians, if they could just be children, remember what it was like. Because I don't care how privileged your lifestyle. There were some times when... You just wanted to do stuff like children did. Mm. And I think they forget what it's like to be a child because even with the most privileged, you had to make tough decisions in life, you know, and we're making children take really, really tough decisions at really, really young ages. And and I suppose when I think we, we, we had three fantastic deck teachers, um, two of them in the same school and one of them in the south and one of them in the north. The lady in the north has gone back to civil engineering. Mm-hmm. She was an incredible deck teacher, mm-hmm. absolutely phenomenal deck teacher. And the two down in the south, um, <laughs> I don't think any of them had a, an industry background. And one of them now is a construction manager, and one of them now is a BIM technician. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so they like actually left teaching, teaching deck to go into industry, and I can forgive them for that. Um, it's it's wonderful, but but I, I just think that you know. This, this, our challenge as surveyors has an awful lot to, to do with understanding 
understanding, with children being able to make choices, with teachers being able to apply subjects. And if I was sat in the classroom as my 12-year-old self, mm-hmm. I would go to my, and knowing what I know now, I would go to my maths teacher and say, you know that question about Pythagoras? Let's get the surveying firm in and let's go outside and they will teach you so much. Mm-hmm. And you, all these children who are messing about in your class and being a bit naughty will have your 100% attention because they understand purpose. Yeah. <sighs> we need to invent a time machine. I think that would solve the problem. <laughs> I, oh, maybe, maybe. But we can't, can we? So it's just, yeah. No. I don't know. No. Um, well, well I, I hope there's a little glimmer of hope. Only last Friday, I was um, at an Essex skills conference and there's a gentleman that I've watched for years, actually, is a chap called Robert Holfen and he's the Education Select Committee Chairman. Now, whatever colours you have for your politics, this is a guy who's talked about technical education mm-hmm. and he said, you know, for years and years and years, this, this um, government has talked about um, no, uh, education, education, education. I wanted to be talking about skills, skills, skills. And I sat there in the audience and he'd heard me speak and actually gave an invitation to become Minister for Education, which we laughed about. But, um, but either way, I sat there and thought, it's knowledge, skills and behaviours. Because actually, we should be teaching children knowledge. Yep. We should be te- teaching, teaching children the skills. Yep. We should be combining that with the way to behave professionally. Yep. which then lends itself to a degree of competency to enter the world of work. Totally. So imagine the timetable where all that is combined. Can you imagine? Mm. We wouldn't be talking about skills crisis. We'd be no. talking about, oh, my goodness, with too many surveyors, how can we diversify? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is he talking about at that technical level or in the schools level? He's, he's talking about in the schools level. Yeah. He's talking about in the schools level. And this is the wonderful thing. You know, even the CITB, the Construction Industry Training Board, they've just released a report where they've said we have to get into children before A-levels. If they're talking A-levels in England, they're talking about pre-16. Well, let's start at 11. Let's start at 5. I mean, this is the thing. In school, they build things. You know, Mm. kids have so much opportunity in primary school to do this stuff. You know, the nature table, we go outside, we can look at the planet. There's some incredible stuff going on around sustainability in primary schools. And then they get into secondary school and it's a club. If you want to learn that, go to a club. Highly, highly ironic. Um, I think one of the government ministers said, oh, we're going to do away with drama for, for, for an option. Because the thing is, if children need to know about drama, they can go to the theatre. Oh, <laughs> like on 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 your planet dog maybe (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know i was looking at the lion king tickets i've always wanted to take my daughter to the lion king she's 19 now but um but but yeah at 90 pound a ticket well i don't think every every child can go to the theater to get their drama um but um Mm. but yeah i mean even when i think about my own family my 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 daughter who i oh my god she's so special kate um you know, she, she's uh, had a lot to put up with a mother who's like, education needs to change, Kate, you're five, but we're <laughs> going to do this. <laughs> but even now, you know, her grammar school, uh, her grammar school, Clitheroe Royal Grammar School um, here in the Northwest, 
you know, a really, really great school with great ambitions and a very, very, forgive me, traditional school. Um, you know, it's Russell Group University for you. Um, they don't really talk about apprenticeships and certainly didn't uh, when Kate was there. And, um, but, but, you know, that whole condition of children, um, there's, there's, there's a wonderful student who, um, in COVID, he was a friend of my daughter's, Dermot, and, uh, and he, super bright, lovely lovely guy um and he and Dermot um he's uh he lost his father when he was mm -hmm. a similar age to me uh and I kind of took him under my wing Kate introduced me to him I met his mom Kirsty who's absolutely lovely as well and Dermot she said Dermot I think he wants to go down the apprenticeship route and his school will not like it so this is super bright wonderful yeah. wonderful boy and I and and um I so I, I him and some of his mates really really were interested in engineering, and and I took them down to Manchester for the day, got them into BDP. Thanks BDP, you know they 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 gave them a day, told them about um and the different disciplines, different things they could do, and I went to see Dermot and and I got him a work experience with Mott McDonald, and Mott Mike has been brilliant with me since since the days of Keith Howells as a chairman, a wonderful, wonderful organization. Mm -hmm. And I got him a week's work experience um, with um, actually one of our students who's now at Mott McDonald's, civil engineers. And uh, so, so Bradley's, big up Bradley's, he looked after him. And also um, Jason Hyde at Mott McDonald in Altrincham office. And I got him a work experience for one week and, and Dermot was absolutely smitten. Dermot did his A-levels and he just absolutely smashed it out of the park. I mean, he brilliant A-levels, four A-levels. And traditionally, he should have been at Oxbridge. He yep. should have been Oxford or Cambridge. Mm -hmm. And he turned up on my doorstep a year last July with a big bunch of flowers. Hi, Dermot. What's this all about? He said, I just wanted you to be the first to know I've got a degree apprenticeship with Mott McDonald down in Bristol. So he is oh. doing an apprenticeship. He's a... The University of the West of England. Oh my God, it's not Oxbridge. It's an old polytechnic university who do part-time degrees, but that's where they do their degrees. So he's doing a, 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 a he's doing a civil engineering degree at a you might even call they're a first class university in my book, but you would call them a yeah. second class university, yeah. maybe yeah. they're not the top light. Mm -hmm. So everything that the school had ambitions for, Dermot's gone against that. He's an apprentice, he's going to a second stage university. He's doing his degree apprenticeship over five years and he's gone straight into work at 18 years old. I texted Dermot last night. I spoke to Mark McDonald a few weeks ago and said, these are the young people that we need to champion mm, so that other sure. young people know that this is an option. And an apprenticeship is not a second rate option. It's a top class mm. option. Yep. And you know something I remember talking to a lovely guy at Mark McDonald years ago. And he was saying, Ali, you know, we absolutely love apprenticeships. We actually sit the graduates with the apprentices when they come out of university to teach them all they know. Because in university, they've had knowledge, but they've had no application. So, God, so how many true. stories could be so, this? That's so true. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, all in all, uh, I mean, even in this last year, you know, five and a half thousand young people um, had taken advantage of DEC, Design, Engineering, Construct DEC, as we call it. And it's growing. It's going all around the world. There are more schools in Lithuania, thanks to Kaunas University, than there are in the whole of Yorkshire. Gosh. And do you know, there's, I know that there's a, um, a a page on Instagram called, and I'm pretty sure this is the one, Go Construct. And, oh, yeah, that was, yep. that was CITD. They're, <laughs> they're 
pushing apprenticeships. <laughs> they are now. You'll forgive me. I kind of went like that. I know you so, did. So, so let, let, let me let me correct that. Go construct. <laughs> um, so that is that came out of the construction industry training board a few years ago, so that the whole of the industry could own something, so they could channel information into it. Uh-huh. And it started out as very sort of. Uh, trade craft we got involved in the first iterations of go construct as well because we were seeing there was a you know there were no surveyors in there for a start well well it's funny it's funny you say that because when they were putting stuff on there I'd messaged them and said but what about the surveyors what about this what about that and then after that I noticed (laughs) that they were starting to put more surveying stuff in there you know (laughs) the building the bricklaying the the this the the, that the engineers the surveyors (laughs) the surveyors hello and even the surveyors can we talk geospatial you know because it's not just quantity surveying hello oh yeah no I made specifically (laughs) that um yeah and it wasn't building surveying either it was yeah, 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 for sure. Geospatial sure. surveying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 fair to say, you know, CITB, God bless them, they are still learning. Go Construct has evolved into into something so much better. Um, but again, it, it's about a collaboration. This is what collaboration do. I will yeah. give them one thing: they they listen to people. They go, oh yeah, geospatial. Okay, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Because it's about people stepping up and saying, we exist, yeah. count us in, please remember we are here. Yeah. So, exactly. and, and that's kind of a mantra to everyone, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. if you got, if you want to be believed, you have to be seen, you know, step up. And I think the whole thing point for me was let's make it easy for people to step up. We don't mm-hmm. have to do the terribly scary careers on the assembly halls as I used to do no. when I was a Get there's in there a, and show them. Yeah, it's exactly. Get that. in there yeah. and show them. Um, I, yeah. you know, I did something with um Trimble a few weeks ago and having a conversation with Amy, and um just did one of their podcast things and we're sort of saying yes, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. simple. Yeah, you know, (laughs) and how many cliches do we need until they get it? You know, but again, even with government, I mean, this goes out to governments all over the world. You know, get into a school, get into industry, and see what's going on in some of these classrooms. Mm -hmm. We just started in Malaysia. The housing minister for Penang, a wonderful, wonderful guy, um, came to the uh, uh, Powys, uh, so the Prince of Wales Island International School. Now that is an international private school, but they mm-hmm. are opening their doors to public teachers because they know that you know one one independent school in the whole of Malaysia is not going to solve the problem. No. So they're training local teachers in local schools because they know the local workforce matters too. How wonderful uh, is that in terms yeah. of giving back? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, and again, it's I say. Look at Prince of Wales Island Academy, you know, Island International. They could be doing that too. Mm-hmm. They could be doing that too. Yeah. You know? mm. So, yeah, I, I think we can absolutely. Um, I, I think the biggest thing for me to come out of all of this is that I'm British and you're Australian, mm-hmm. but we actually are citizens of planet Earth. And the more we can work together to do things, I would love to bring some of the stuff that you're doing over to UK. My goodness. In fact, please will you come over to the UK? (laughs) 
Sure. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. I think, you know, because at the moment, the biggest problem we're having, so my wonderful institute, the Chartered Institute of Civil Engineering Surveyors and the wonderful mm-hmm. survey association that I work with as well, you know, we are trying to solve the problem of where is all where are all the survey teachers? Mm-hmm. Because at the moment, you've got guys who've come off site who've been plasterers who are teaching surveying. That's wrong. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. they're trying to do their best job. But they aren't surveyors, so how can they possibly? I I couldn't go and teach plastering. Mm, Oh, God, you wouldn't want that from me. I've tried. (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave that stuff to other people. Yeah, no, I couldn't go and teach plastering, so why would a plasterer come and teach surveying? Doesn't make sense. Does not make sense. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. Well, we have have so much more to talk about, and so we are going to. I we are going to have another podcast, and 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 I've got my head is absolutely spinning at the moment because I am picking out the people that we are going to bring in and have these conversations. And I'm not just talking about England. I'm not just talking about Australia. There's going to be America. There's there's this. (laughs) This is just um ready to explode right now with the things that you know everybody keeps talking about it you're starting to do it I'm trying to do it I know people in places in certain in certain um, states in America are trying to do this sort of stuff we need to come together we need to just go this is what we need to do don't sit there and complain don't say that there's problems actually get up and do something about it so if we've got yeah. something that we can drive and you've got it yeah you've got it yeah. and yeah you know and there's all these other things that can be brought in I'm just yeah my head is just spinning at the moment <laughs> yeah yeah because I, mean, well, I mean you know you know that I've already got plans of you know trying to bring stuff into the the year really? 11 and 12 you know and doing and yeah. doing that traineeship type of thing in year 11 and 12 supported by a company um, to roll on into the academy, all of that kind of stuff, that there's just so many things that we can do. We've got the task force in Australia yeah. that look after careers, teachers. They were part of this, you know, all the ISTEM stuff. They do all of the um, um, work experience, organising schools and kids with work experience. The tools are there. We just have to be able to put it all into place. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It takes it takes it takes will. Yeah, and 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 you know, let, let's finish on the oldest cliche: where there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. And that's why I never give up. Okay. And I'll still be doing this when I'm ninety. If I'm still around, God help me. <laughs> you know. So so I look forward to the next podcast with you, and uh, let's show you what the school's doing. And hopefully the next podcast we're saying, wow, all these people have listened to this podcast and want to get involved. I so, hope so I hope so. Yeah, that's 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 yeah, that's my aim. We'll see. Yeah, we'll yeah. See. the prime hey, prime minister of Australia. That would be good. <laughs> okay, that's not bad. That that yeah, we I might push for some certain certain things there. No, I won't. <laughs> I'll get Michelle to do that. <laughs> I'm still Fantastic. trying to just teach. I'm still trying to just teach. Let's finish off some quiz shots. Uh, there was plenty of questions that I didn't ask you, but, you know, we've covered so many things about the awesome things that you're doing. So I'm sure there's going to be another one. So we might go through other questions later. Let's do some quick shots to finish off, lighten the mood and um, sure. call it a night. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Okay. Go for it. All right. So 
There are three questions I'm going to ask before we go yes, no's. If you had a superpower, okay. what would it be? It's as quiet as you've been all Make night. The world love each other. It would be about love and peace. Make the world love each other. Nice. Okay. All right. If you see a puddle on the ground, do you walk around it, jump over it, or jump in it? I jump in it with both feet. Yes! <laughs> of course I, I do. Knew, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, at a party, where would someone find you? Kitchen. Ah, oh, kitchen. Glass of wine, quiet in the corner. <laughs> I'm no good at parties. <laughs> okay. If you could change one thing about the Svang industry, what would it be? Government policy, education policy, mm. because surveying industry can make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, policy. Cool. All right. Tea or coffee? Coffee, always. Cat or dog? Always dog. My dog's <laughs> barking downstairs. I don't do cats. I'm dog. Dog all the way. I always come back to life. Uh, reincarnation, dog, every time. Labrador, black Labrador, probably oh, named Peg. <laughs> Spoiled. Sunrise or sunset? Um, sunrise. Summer yeah. or winter? Summer. Don't do winter. Mm. Roller coasters. Do you love or hate them? Love them. Mm-hmm. I hate the queue. Love the roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. <laughs> Agree. Three items you'd take on a desert island. Oh, God. Um. Okay. Am I allowed to combine? You can do whatever. Oh, okay. No, I'll take a cornet. Okay. I would take a brass instrument. I would take my cornet because I gave that up as a 16-year-old and I so wish I'd not done that. So I would take Mm -hmm. a cornet. I would take the Auburn Manual, which all cornet players, all brass instrument players, (laughs) oh, my God, you are a nerd. So I'd take the Auburn Manual, A-R-B-E-N, and a photograph of my family. Oh, nice. Not your family. So I'd have something to play. <laughs> I'd have something to keep me going. I'd be the finest cornet player, probably playing for Graham Cook, Thorpe Colliery Band when I get back off the boat. Uh, but I you know, my, my, I have so much to thank my family for. So a photograph of my family. Nice. Favourite song or artist? <laughs> Oh, God, you should have been ready for this. Okay, favorite song. Well, I love, um, uh, uh, oh, God, isn't it? I love, and I can't even name it. Um, Here Comes the Sun, the Beatles. Oh, nice. A bit of Beethoven for good measure, but certainly um, Here Comes the Sun, it always makes me smile. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm introvert. (laughs) I am. I get it. I get it. Is your glass half full or half empty? Always half full. Mm -hmm. No such thing as a half empty glass. Mm -hmm. What's that all about? (laughs) If you had a warning label, what would it be? Don't talk to me unless you follow through. Oh, I probably ought to rewrite. That, that, that's going to be so bad. <laughs> actions actions speak louder than words. Don't Ooh. talk to me unless you're ready to write. Mm, yeah. But follow one. through. I mean, <laughs> over here it might mean something else. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, I think the other one is uh, take the paracetamol before you meet me because you might need it after. <laughs> That's, a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, who knows you best? Oh, um, probably my daughter and my husband. Mm-hmm. I'm a mum, I'd have to say that. Yeah. Well, I think I know the answer to this one. Yeah. Favourite subject in school? Maths. Oh. <laughs> the one thing that we don't agree on <laughs> I loved it I loved it but yeah yeah maths and probably uh I probably English I used to love to write which mm. is probably where my creativity mm. comes from now who knew I was creative I probably am but um but yeah maths always yep. yeah yeah uh favorite food favorite food um I love a good risotto yeah so Italian probably oh yeah Favorite drink? Uh, red wine. A good Australian Barossa, actually. Shiraz, Mellow. Barossa, yeah. Mm. Like, anything from the Barossa Valley is Doesn't lovely. Matter. So, yeah, big up the Barossa. <laughs> What's your pet peeve? Pet peeve? Um, uh, people who promise the world and don't deliver. People who promise I'll get back to you, I will email you, and don't. I'm a bit like that sometimes. <laughs> but, I, but I do warn. I do actually warn. If I don't get back to you, let me know. Come come back to me. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, exactly. Okay, the second pet peeve is when I go back to something, they don't come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> I come back the second time because I go, oh, crap, I didn't reply. Yeah, no, I'll do it well, right do. now. I'm... I'll do it yeah, right yeah, now. <laughs> Yeah, worst traits, forgetting to go back to people. Mm. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, favourite sport? Favourite sport? Cycling, probably. Mm-hmm. Morning or night person? Night, but I get up early. But I am night. I'm the same. Yeah. I'm the same. Proudest moment? Having my baby. I did it. I, I had a big job getting my baby and, yeah, there's nothing quite like it. Yep, yep. Dream car. Oh, I know the answer to that. Mm. It is a, um, it is a uh, Alfa Romeo Spider, one of oh, the old oh, ones. Oh, no, oh like, yes. Like in The Graduate. Yeah. In The Graduate. I always wanted an Alfa Spider. When I saw Dustin Hoffman driving around in the Alfa Spider, that's... Or a Carmen Gear, an old Carmen Gear, but probably an Alpha Spider. But I have to be living in Italy. The Carmen Gear is probably. Nice too. Yeah, it'll be a rust, it'll be a rust mm-hmm. bucket anyway. Mm-hmm. Favorite color, green. Green. green too. Favorite color. Yeah. Apple or Android? Apple. Mm-hmm. Can't get on with a Samsung. Sorry. <laughs> it's Apple. <laughs> Sorry, Samsung. Yeah. Ah, this one is on a scale of one to ten. How cool are you? Oh, probably one. Ah, no. I'm not very cool. <laughs> okay, two. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Last Although one. Although I was once told by children that I was sick, apparently that's eleven. So I don't know. There you go. Huh? Oh yeah, but but probably two. Oh. Yeah. Last one. What star sign are you? I'm an Aries. 
God knows why, because mm. I don't have any Aries about me, but I'm Aries. But I am an identical Funny. twin. So I figure that when the egg split, she got She's most got of the Aries egg. and I got just a little bit. I'm more I'm more Pisces, I think, but Aries. <laughs> Funny. Oh, Alex, it's been so, so good talking to you and we have so much more to talk about. So there are going to be more of these <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> No worries. Um, be like the crown episodes go on and on and on. We'll be doing this when we're 90. But that's fine. I, I, I just have to make sure that there's not you, Elaine, and I in one. <laughs> yeah, that's a long night. We need that's... we need a glass of red <laughs> to do that one. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> well, it's been my absolute, I, I love this. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect, but it's been so nice just to chat amongst friends. So Thank you Thank so much. You're welcome. Thank you. And um, good luck with all of your endeavours. And I think it's amazing what you've achieved so far. So kudos to you. Ditto that. <laughs> Takes one to know one. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Defining Boundaries. Please make sure to subscribe to my podcast channels, like and share my episodes. You can find me at Defining Boundaries or Survey Geek Girl on Instagram, Peter Cox on LinkedIn, and at my website, petercox.com. Keep listening and keep on surveying. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox.